Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Penglis coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Dave probably heard the new page that I was uh, turning on my notebook here. So today is 2-10-23. Yeah, it's Friday. Uh, we're starting a little bit later. And we're going to get a little bit of a change in our programming here. Uh, Shirley Watchell is going to take uh, a break from the show for a bit to take care of a whole bunch of other stuff. This happens. This is fairly common. You know, I mean, it's, it's a lot. You, you think, uh, you know, you call in for half an hour to a show and it's easy. You know, just, hey, just, let's, let's come in and talk. No, there's preparation. There's work. There's all kinds of things that, that go into, uh, into this uh, for anybody. And so uh, I'm sure she'll be back, you know, but, you know, Wendy took a break. Other folks have taken breaks. Uh, Derek's always taking every other week off. You know, Derek's off this week, too. Um, and so this is, this is pretty normal around here. So we just kind of fill in. We do things and we change stuff around a little bit. So the, the, the biggest change, of course, is I'll be starting uh, the show at 7. Uh, a.m. Central Time on Fridays now. And, I'm, of course, I'm looking for a gun reporter because we've lost two of my favorite people, uh, Jim Dykes, who had a, a job change, and so he wasn't able to do it. And, uh, and Shirley Watchell, who does the D.C. Project Women and Guns Report, um, is busy with other stuff, and so she can't do it. So I need a gun reporter. <laughs> she, I mean, Friday without talking about guns, I think like I'm missing something, you know, uh, especially when so much is happening with that ridiculous bill that's in the Florida state legislature that they're saying it's constitutional carry. No, it's not constitutional carry. It's not constitutional carry without open carry. You can't have constitutional carry without open carry. I don't care what these idiot lawyers are saying. What this move is, this bill is designed to give you something without giving you something. Okay. Or to say you are, and say, well, look, we, we gave you constitutional carry. No, all they gave us is permitless carry license less or, you know, without a carry permit or without a, a license. Of course, you can't license the Second Amendment anyway, so that's bogus. And the second thing that, um, that fascinates me is, is the, the, the permit, the, the CCW, the Concealed Carry Weapons Permit. Uh, we're in a shall-issue state, which means they have to give you the permit, you know, unless you uh, uh, have some criteria that won't allow you even to own a gun. But short of that, they have to give you the permit. So, so a permit they have to give you, you know, isn't really a permit. <laughs> it's just, it's kind of an exercise uh, and it's a fundraising thing, but it's not really a permit because, you know, the, your criteria, you don't have to pass a certain test score. Well, I think you do, uh, but it's minimal. The firearms qualification is a joke, um, but uh, that's why everybody should get more training. But the point is that being in a shall issue state, they have to give it to you. So they're saying, look, we're going to give you constitutional carry. We're going to give you, uh, you can carry a gun without a permit that we're going to have to give you anyway. <laughs> So, so that, that's how, this is how politicians do it, right? So they, they pretend to give you a benefit without giving you a benefit so they don't have to do something to uh, upset their, their donors, their, uh, their funding sources that don't want open carry. Well, the Constitution isn't dependent on what rich people want. I'm sorry, it's just not. It's not dependent on what leftists want. It's not dependent on what those who want to take away our rights want. It's dependent on one and only one thing, and that's the Constitution and the limits on government. And the limits on government are very clear that we can own and carry anything anywhere it's just that simple now can you use it no <laughs> in, in any way in any anyhow no of course not but use isn't covered by the second amendment so all the leftists out there who are saying wait a minute if, if you can carry a machine gun you can mow down a bunch of people well i mean you could do that with a steak knife and a pickup truck too apparently uh, but that's not the point the point is that we don't make rights for the for the the criminals we make rights for the honest law-abiding citizen and in order for the law-abiding citizen to have instant access to their firearm for self-defense, they have to be able to carry it. That's the whole point of the Second Amendment, to have instant access to your right. So if you want your right to, to speech, you just yell. <laughs> That's easy. 
you know, you can do that. I mean, you can go to your computer. You know, over that might take a few seconds, you know, or your phone uh, or anywhere else you want to exercise your right of free speech. Now, of course, you're responsible for that speech. Same thing with a gun. You know, the government cannot touch your right. Your right. Not, not you, but your right. This is what we're talking about. You've got to separate rights from people. It's kind of a weird thing. But the, the, the reason that we protect the right so that people can exercise it. Okay. And then, of course, if you have due process that removes the right uh, temporarily, like when you're in jail, <laughs> you know, there's, no, there's no second amendment in jail, folks. At least I hope not. Um, but, uh, but short of that, uh, once you're back on the street, that's another story. We can talk about that, too. Voting rights, same thing. You, know, you can't take away if, – if you've, if you've done your time you know, and you've ended your parole, then all your rights come back. And, this, and if, if you don't get all your rights back, then uh, you should still – if you're not safe enough to have your rights back, then you should be in jail. You know, that's just how that works. Anyway, but the point is that, uh, that we need a gun reporter. <laughs> so I'll be talking to some folks uh, and see what we can do to, uh, to get that taken care of. Or I'll do it. I, mean, you know, and, and I don't mind reporting gun stories. I, I do it all the time here. I explained why the Second Amendment is supreme, why constitutional law makes any gun control automatically unconstitutional, which is statutory law, which is below subordinate underneath you know, the Constitution. That's how that works. Okay, that's the first thing. Second thing is we have a very interesting guest uh, in the second hour, uh, and that's Rebecca Charles. Now, Rebecca, uh, I'm going to pretty much open the floor to her. This is going to be a challenging story for her to tell. Uh, she lost a daughter uh, to government medicine. Uh, I wouldn't even call it government medicine. She lost it to a government medical holocaust uh, that's going on in this country, that's still going on in this country, as we watch people you know, dying suddenly. And so I'm, I'm really not going to say too much about it because I want to make sure that she says exactly what she wants to say because it's her story uh, and it's her daughter's story. And we're going to let, I'm just going to let her tell it. And so that's going to be the second hour. Uh, this, during Friday, normally, we have Derek Park at the bottom of the hour, uh, 7.30. But uh, like I said, he's off this week, too. So everybody's off. It's just me. Now, I could play another WEBY interview, but I don't want to because there's so many stories out there, so many stories that uh, we're going to do. I'll be talking stories this hour. I'll pretty much be listening the second hour, and then uh, I'll be able to talk again. Uh, well, I'll be asking questions. But the third hour uh, is when I'll be back with more news. So we're going to be 7, 8, and 9, uh, just like we usually are during the rest of the week, which, which makes us pretty consistent, which I like. I like being consistent, uh, if I can. It was starting at the same time. I was doing different things to accommodate different reporters because I really wanted them on the show. But, you know, now we can kind of uh, be consistent and hopefully match up reporters to the available times. We shall see. Got big guests coming soon, uh, a couple next week, hopefully. And I'll tell you more about that once everything's confirmed. But uh, things are going to get exciting around here. And, of course, I'm hoping to get on some really big shows myself. You know, and we'll see if I can do that, too, and get the word out on our citizen legislation and hopefully get it into the national debate, into the national news and get a fair hearing. And again, work directly with the Trump campaign uh, and make our, our bills like vaccine product liability and big tech censorship and the constitutional amendments to take away the power of Congress uh, to borrow money. All those part of, of uh, Donald Trump's campaign agenda, you know, hopefully working directly with them because, uh, you know, the advantage for us and, and the unfortunate situation is the conservatives have no imagination, ha, you know, have very few ideas. I just don't. I mean, it's all reflex. It's all reacting to what the, what the Marxist left does. Well, you've got you to gotta be out front. You've got to be aggressive. You've got to have to have your own agenda. You know, you, you put them on the defensive, and that's pretty much what our legislation does. That's what it's designed to do. All right, so this is a story that just came out last night. You know, hold the presses. <laughs> Let's go into news mode here. So let me get my broadcast theme. I'm going to go into news mode and I tell you a story in great detail you're going to love.
And welcome to the Action Radio Newsroom, where we go to the teletype and see what's on the presses. Well, maybe saying you love the story was not the, the, the best way to characterize it. Uh, I think you'll find it fascinating. I think you'll find it justifying what we talked about earlier. And that is what happened to the Nord Stream 2 pipeline uh, between Russia and Germany off the coast of Norway in the Baltic Sea. And what is fascinating is that I pulled up my show that we did, uh, or our show here, our action radio show, from September 29th, talking about what happened in the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. And, of course, Brandon is saying Putin did it. I said, that's ridiculous. The Russians are not going to blow up their own pipeline. That's just absurd. Uh, if they have a problem with, uh, with Europe, they just shut off the pipeline. They don't blow it up. So I, I threw that, that conclusion out immediately. And I thought the European nations, well, maybe some would do it. Who would do that? Well, potentially Norway, as, as I later learned, uh, just in reading this article that I'm going to go over here. Apparently, they have their own oil and gas industry. Well, that's interesting. So the Russians were, but, and the Russians were undercutting them, offering it at a cheap rate because they're you know, not uh, technically a communist society, but they're an authoritarian, you know, pretty much dictatorial society. So from czars to, uh, um, to communist leaders to uh, a Russian Federation under Putin, you know, I mean, <laughs> the names change, but the policies really don't. This is still pretty authoritarian over in Russia, um, which is quite interesting. And hopefully, you know, it'll be interesting. I mean, Russia's been listening to our show since the beginning. I'd love to get a hold of some Russian reformers because there's some brilliant people in Russia. You look at the, the Solzhenitsyns and uh, some of the other freedom fighters in Russia. You know, I'd love to have them call the show. We've got a we've got a uh, a Skype line, so Russian listeners, you know, just look up the Skype line. It's right there. You, you dial in online, and then I have to approve your your uh, account, like I have to approve everybody's account for Skype. Uh, and then once I do that, you can call directly into the show while we're live. So if you don't mind, you know, staying up late, <laughs> you can call us directly. Looking for some Russian freedom fighters. Looking for some Chinese freedom fighters too. Uh, I just don't want to get you killed, you know, for calling the show. We had one call once from China from Beijing and never again. So I don't know what China did, but uh, two things happened after that. One, we never got a call from China. And two, Taiwan dropped off our national map. So Taiwan, I think, is being blocked uh, from listening to Action Radio by China. Why else would, would 6 million people not listen when uh, you know, places like uh, Cyprus, uh, Armenia uh, are listening? Belarus is listening. And then, you know, and I mean, Russia doesn't even cut us off, but it's interesting. So we're not sure who will wear or how or why. But anyway, uh, so the speculation, my initial, I was listening to the show just to see what I said <laughs> back a few months ago. And as it turns out, uh, my speculation was China did it to, to create a war between uh, the United States and Russia. That was my, my primary suspicion, suspicion. But I also had, you know, plan B was that we did it. <laughs> Brandon did it um, to, to cut off energy uh, from Russia so that, you know, perhaps we could sell energy ourselves. And so this complex story, but I, I knew it wasn't Russia. It made perfect sense. I didn't know if it was another European nation. I, I suspected either China or us. Uh, and most likely, you know, as, as, it turn, well, as it turns out now, it's us. <laughs> okay. So Seymour Hirsch. And uh, apparently I got to, one of our reporters told me that Seymour Hirsch is not particularly well liked by conservatives. Quite frankly, I don't care. So I don't care the source. If, the, if you know, news is accurate or it's not. I mean, it's very simple. And if the news is accurate and it makes sense and it goes through, through uh, you know, my logic and reason filter, that would be reasonable that this story makes sense, then I don't care who says it. You know, if a communist has a news story that makes sense, I'm going to report it. You know, if an if a, you know, absolute anarchist, you know, the opposite of the political spectrum, has a story that makes sense, you know, the anarchist news reports today that Brandon is not in control of the White House. Okay, that would be, I would report that story because it's obviously true. <laughs> okay, all right. So Seymour Hirsch. Uh, journalist who is a, Substack, a fellow Substack author, uh, wrote, um, 
you were, uh, the article is called How America Took Out the Nord Stream Pipeline. And it's a long article. Uh, it's fascinating. I've got an hour. I'll, I'll see how much of it I get through before I, uh, I've had enough. But what's interesting is that the Russian, the official Russian, Russian news agency, TASS, that's T-A-S-S, I'm not sure what it stands for, but TASS, the Russian news agency confirms Seymour Hersh and says, yep, that's what happened. And so uh, it's fascinating. So I've got that covered. This is why I report international news. So if you go to the Action Radio International News Group, you'll find these stories. And also, I believe I have most of them at the Action Radio Special Investigations page because it seems like these two, uh, this story is made for that. So February 8th, we're talking two days ago, Seymour Hirsch wrote, uh, he says, the New York Times called it a mystery, but the United States executed a covert sea operation that was kept secret until now. So I read some of it last night, some of it this morning, but uh, before the show, I emailed uh, my congressman, Matt Gates calling for uh, him to call for an investigation. And so we need hearings on this. We need, uh, this is impeachable right there. I mean, this is definitely impeachable. This is a huge, uh, you know, this, this could have caused a war. It may still, I mean, I don't know, but the problem is that, uh, and it's not for the fact that they blew up the pipeline that it's impeachable. It's impeachable because they never told Congress. This is all done in secret. Uh, you know, Congress has to know these kind of covert operations, and they didn't. Why? Because they might not have approved it. And, you know, Brandon, Brandon operates in secret. Uh, in fact, the people running Brandon operate in secret, and that would be Obama, Clinton, Hillary Clinton, uh, and various other operators of, operate, operatives of the deep state. And so we, we, Brandon couldn't pull us off by himself. First of all, he wouldn't have the guts to do it. Uh, secondly, China might tell him to, you know, even, well, it depends what China would tell him. I don't know. We'll have to uh, we'll speculate on that. Anyway. So I've called for my congressman to call for an investigation and hearings in Washington uh, on this issue to find out, you know, who screwed up <laughs> yeah. or, or, or who F-bombed up, <laughs> you know, and, and actually allowed this nonsense to go forward. So he says the U.S. Navy's diving and salvage center can be found in a location as obscure as his name down what was once a uh, country lane in rural Panama City. OK, that's not far from me. Panama City is like, what, 60, 70 miles away down the Gulf Coast. Uh, in the next county down, I think it's a Walton County or Oak County. I'm not, I'm not sure which, or a Bay County. I think it's Bay County. Uh, anyway, so Panama City, that was the, the place ravaged by Hurricane Michael, just to let you know. All right, so this is a rural country lane in Panama City, now a now booming resort city in the southwest, uh, southwestern panhandle of Florida. Oh, here we go, 70 miles south of the Alabama border. Well, it's not that, yeah, it's about 70 miles away from me here in uh, Milton uh, near Pensacola. He says the center's complex is as nondescript as its location, a drab concrete post-World War II structure that has the look of a vocational high school on the west side of Chicago. A coin-operated laundromat and a dance school are, are across what is now a four-lane road. The center has been training highly skilled deep-water divers for decades who, once assigned to American military units worldwide, are capable of technical diving to do the good, in other words, using C4, that's a uh, that's a plastic explosive. C4 explosives to clear harbors and beaches of debris and unexploded ordnance. That would be like mines, <laughs> bombs, you know, stuff like that, uh, as well as bad. And here's the bad, like, uh, you know, blowing up foreign oil rigs, you know, fouling intake valves for undersea power plants, destroying locks on crucial shipping canals. Locks are the things that uh, lock the water and allow ships to be raised or lowered by raising or lowering the water level. That's what a lock is. If you go to the Panama Canal, it's all done with a series of locks. Uh, and what they do is they lock in the water. Uh, or lock out the water, depending on which way the, the ship is going. Uh, 
Anyway, this is the Panama City Center, which boasts the second largest indoor pool in America. I wonder where the largest one is. Hmm. Was the perfect place to recruit best and most taciturn, I guess that's quiet, graduates of the diving school who successfully did last summer what they had been authorized to do 260 feet under the surface of the Baltic Sea. So that's key to this, too. I always wondered about that. So wait a minute, 260 feet? That's not that deep. You know, as, as things go, that's not deep. Uh, we have submersibles, submarines. They all start with the old bathyspheres way back in the 60s. You know, so submarine technology. Did you, did you guys watch Dr. Stowe growing up? All right, you know. Uh, we go under the sea to see the fishies, and we take the, the, little, uh, the little submarine down, the Cousteau number two, we take down to the sea. All right, he's the guy that also advocated wiping out half the world's population, too. So uh, I used to admire Jacques Cousteau, not so much now. All right, anyway, so uh, 260 feet under the Baltic Sea is not very deep. Article continues, last June, Navy divers operating under the cover of a widely publicized midsummer NATO exercise known as Ball Tops 22. That's actually Baltic Sea Top something or, or Baltic Sea Operations. So BALT, B-A-L-T for Baltics and OPS for like operations. 22, I guess it's the 22nd time they did this. Plan, planted the remotely triggered explosives that three months later destroyed three of the four Nord Stream pipelines. Let me say that again. Last June, the Navy divers operating under the cover of a widely publicized midsummer NATO exercise. So this was the cover, right? <laughs> As Baltops 22 planted the remotely triggered explosives that three months later destroyed three of the four Nord Stream pipelines, according to the source with a source with direct knowledge of the operational planning. So obviously this is what they call an unnamed source, uh, an anonymous source, because if this person were found out, they'd probably be killed <laughs> you know, so, or, or at least arrested or, or who knows what. What, you know, what happens to people who defy the, the branded insurrection? You know, what, what does Hillary do to people that they're about to testify against her in court? You know, they, they, they disappear. They, they have accidents. You know, they have suicides with, you know, five shots to the back. They get uh, the Seth Rich treatment. You know, so this is why I'm sure this person is being very quiet. But they also realize that the news has to get out. Um, who's that? Um, who's the guy in um, uh, the guy? That, was it Snowden? You know, who's in uh, who's in Russia right now because he, he got all that stuff out uh, on WikiLeaks about uh, Hillary's laptop, Hillary's uh, emails. Anyway, article says two of the pipelines, which were known collectively as Nord Stream One. Nord, I think, is either German or Russian for North. Uh, stream would be, you know, the gas pipeline. Nord Stream One has been pro- providing Germany and much of Western Europe with cheap Russian natural gas for more than a decade. A second pair of pipelines called Nord Stream Two had been built, but were not yet operational. Now, with Russian troops massing on the Ukrainian border and the bloodiest war in Europe since 1945, that would be World War II for those historically challenged, looming, that I said that, he didn't. President, oh, I'm sorry, I misspoke. Resident, you know, White House occupier Joseph Biden, the corrupt, you know, the, the, uh, the, the uh, insurrectionist, saw the pipelines as a vehicle for Vladimir Putin uh, to weaponize natural gas for his political and territorial ambitions. Well, the Russians sell natural gas to make money. I mean, there's nothing unusual about that or strange about that. Europeans buy natural gas because their environmentalists are too wacko for them to uh, drill it themselves, except in Norway, where apparently they have a lot of it. That, we'll get to that story in a bit later. We, of course, have uh, uh, a 200-year supply of natural gas, oil, coal, uh, and a bunch of other things, but we can't drill them because our environmental wackos are now in the White House illegally. And so we have a, the fascinating thing about this is I was reading it. It's, it's amazing that um, the idea that uh, Brandon wants to supply Europe with American energy, but he doesn't want to supply Americans with American energy. So that little contradiction should sit on your conscience for a while uh, as we go through this. All right. So then we, da, 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 da. so here's this ask for comment 
Adrian Watson, that's A-D-R-I-E-N-N-E, Adrian Watson, a White House spokesperson, said in an email, this is false and complete fiction. Well, it's like it's both, right? So it's, if it's complete fiction, it's false, and if it's false, it's complete fiction. So she's, she's being redundant. Tammy Thorpe, a spokesperson for the Central Intelligence Agency, similarly wrote, this claim is completely and utterly false. Well, again, they're being redundant. This is how you know they're lying. When, when they use, uh, uh, you know, ex, uh, when they use uh, I guess, what, what's the word I'm trying to think, infinitives? Uh, when, they, when, they, you know, when they're being redundant like this, completely and utterly, totally, uh, and absolutely false. Really? You could have just said it was false. <laughs> but no, they have to put all these extras in. Uh, Biden's decision to sabotage the pipelines came after more than nine months of highly secret back and forth debate inside Washington's national security community. In other words, the intelligence folks that keep screwing up uh, about how best to achieve that goal. For much of that time, the issue was not whether to do the mission, but how to get it done with no overt clue as to who was responsible. Well, like I say, in fact, Pianchi's on the line now. I'm going to bring him on. We, we thought the, the two possibilities. Hey, Pianchi, remember when we talked about this in September? And I, and I went over the show just a little bit uh, before the show, that, that show. Uh, we, we thought it was either China or us. <laughs> it turns out it's us. So we got it right. Good morning, sir. Good morning, Greg. You're absolutely right. This is preposterous. This is the umpteenth low blow. Why are you sabotaging? Why are you blowing up this pipeline? Well, it's an Does not Russia have the right to engage in commerce? Mm-hmm. Let's see what happens because I got two stories. I got two stories on our, on our international relations, international uh, news group uh, from TASS, which is the Russian news agency. They know all about They've already read the article. <laughs> they know all about this. They probably knew all about it from the beginning. Um, but anyway, so, so well, you know, here's the thing. Uh-huh. This action like this is jeopardizing the safety of America and other citizens around the world. Mm-hmm. This is like one of those Lusitania events. If Putin, we know, I, if Putin wanted to cut off the gas supply to Germany and other countries, they'd just turn a valve. Yeah, exactly. They would not blow up a pipeline that's contaminated and causing ecological havoc the way that did. Well, if it costs money, like, like, you know, I both talked about this. If Russia, you know, had a problem, they would just cut off the, the supply. They'd keep the gas themselves. They'd sell it somewhere else. Russia needs the money, so they don't mind selling it. They certainly don't mind undercutting us and Norway and anybody else that has, or Britain that has natural gas um, to do it because it, it, it doesn't cost them anything. You know, their society has plenty for themselves. They don't care. <laughs> they can sell whatever price undercuts everybody else. That's supply and demand. That's just free market. Uh, that's just world economic uh, policy. Go for it. I don't care. We should sell our oil and gas. Well, it's really, it's uh-huh. really not the United States business. Who buys from who? And where will this ever end? No, uh-huh. I'm saying that there needs to be some repercussions. There needs to be some costs that's going to be associated with this, and it needs to be put back like it was in any Reap any uh, causes of loss in revenue should be compensated by those who committed this crime. Is that what they do with the Holocaust? Is that what they did with IBM and Volkswagen? And their oh, so participation we, we, one way or the other? Oh, wouldn't that be – so we owe Russia reparations? What if Russia takes us to the world court and has a judgment against Brandon and, and wants, uh, wants to recoup the cost of their lost pipeline? That's actually quite interesting. That's a, that's a fascinating prospect. I would support the Russians in that. Biden needs to be kicked out. He shouldn't be in there, but you see these type of shoot from the hip. Obama uh-huh. probably inspired 
Of course. Actions. Mm-hmm. They need to be dealt with. This man needs to be gone, and everybody that's associated with him. Mm-hmm. You notice how quiet China is right now? I mean, they're not saying a word about this. They're just kind of, uh, you know, of course, this story just broke yesterday. But uh, I, I, I don't hear anything coming out of China uh, either way. So that's interesting. And I wonder if this balloon, I wonder if they knew the story was going to come out, and they wanted to focus on the balloon so we didn't look at the fact that, uh, you know, Brandon blew up the Russian pipeline. What do you think? And then I want to read more of the article. Well, I tell you from what I think, I just gave you my synopsis of what should be going no, on with it, Joe uh, Biden. How about China and the balloon story? Do you think that was uh, that well, was a uh, uh, Hey, look, I told you yesterday, should not China have a right to, to take an area view shot of all the farmland that they own in the United States? <laughs> well, I would question. I would say no. <laughs> Because, first of all, unless we invited them to do it, unless we gave them permission to, to fly over with their balloon. Now, that, now, there's a question for you. Did Brandon secretly give China permission to do this, promising not to blow up their balloon, or in other words, his balloon, because he's basically you know, the Chinese ambassador to the White House? Um, did, did he give them secret permission and tell the Pentagon not to blow it up? Until or or when it was done, when they'd gotten all their information and transmitted it back, to then blow it up with a missile so that we couldn't recover it and learn what it was. I mean, that's possible too. Well, and, how and many get, times is it if our Blackbird mm-hmm. and the U two Dragon they flew over countries nowhere mm-hmm. near that altitude and take pictures? No, they're pretty high up. I mean, SR seventy one, I think. Uh, is in the seventy to one hundred thousand foot you know region. I'm not sure exactly, but uh, it's up there, at least seventy thousand feet. I think the U2s are like sixty to ninety thousand or something like that. These these jets are way way up. You know the the joke is the SR seventy one pilot that says uh, you know can I have a clearance to uh, fifty thousand feet and of course the air traffic controller says okay big boy if you can get up that high and then the SR seventy one pilot says yeah but I'm requesting a descent. <laughs> so anyway. I'll, little pilot humor there. Let me continue with the article for a bit, and uh, I'll, I'll get back to you in a bit. I want to get a substantial amount of this done. We've got a special guest uh, at 8 o'clock, and this is, this is a long article, so feel free to jump in. But let me get uh, a bunch of this in here. So let me just pick it up. Biden's decision to sabotage the pipelines came after more than nine months of highly secret back-and-forth debate. There was a vital bureaucratic reason for relying on the graduates of the center. This is the Panama City folks. Hardcore diving school in Panama City. The divers were Navy only and not members of America's Special Operations Command, whose covert operations must be reported to Congress and briefed in advance to the Senate and House leadership, the so-called Gang of Eight. Those are the people that get the most secret intelligence briefings, and they get them before an operation takes place. The Brandon insurrection was doing everything, that's my words, doing everything possible to avoid leaks as the planning took place late in 2021 and into the first months of 2022. So they purposely, they changed the name. They, uh, they used Navy divers so they wouldn't have to report this to Congress. That is impeachable right there. There's your crime, regardless of whether they carried it out or not. The fact that they kept it secret and, and broke this, this obvious uh, requirement to inform Congress of their operations is impeachable. A lot more so than, than Trump's phone call. Back to the article. Uh, Resident Biden and his foreign policy team, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, a familiar name, Secretary of State Tony Blinken, another familiar name, and Victoria Newland, part of the permanent war class, the Undersecretary of State for Policy, 
has been vocal and consistent in their hostility to the two pipelines, which ran side-by-side for 750 miles under the Baltic Sea from two different ports in northeastern Orosha, near the Estonian border, passing close to the Danish island of Bornholm before ending in northern Germany. The direct route, which bypassed any need to transit Ukraine, see there, there's another problem, so the Ukraines are out their oil too and their royalties, right, had been a boon for the German economy, which enjoyed an abundance of cheap Russian natural gas, enough to run its factories and heat its homes while enabling German distributors to sell excess gas at a profit throughout Western Europe. So the Germans are buying cheap Russian gas. They're selling it, you know, because it's already there in Europe, right? They can sell it more expensively uh, and, and just repackage it and off it goes. And Germany, the, the environmental wackos in Germany are happy because Germany's not producing natural gas. They're, they're burning it, which is bad enough. But at least they're not drilling for it, <laughs> you know, so they're happy. And so Germany's happy because they don't have to, uh, they can just buy it from Russia cheaper than they can probably produce it themselves. Everybody's happy. Russians happy. Russia's happy because they get money, right? Everybody's happy except Brandon and uh, whoever's pulling his chain. It's an action that could be traced to the administration would violate U.S. promises to minimize direct conflict with Russia. Uh, secrecy was essential. Yeah, who do they keep it secret from the most? <laughs> Us. It says, from the earliest days, Nord Stream 1 was seen by Washington and its anti-Russian NATO partners as a threat to Western dominance. So that's what Pianchi was getting to earlier. That said, that's the problem, right? Leave these countries alone, let them do what they want, compete equally on the economic playing field, and everything would have been fine. But, of course, that's not how it worked out. The article says the holding company behind it, Nord Stream AG, was incorporated in Switzerland in 2005 in partnership with Gazprom, that's G-A-Z-P-R-O-M, a publicly traded Russian company producing enormous profits for shareholders, which is dominated by oligarchs known to be in the thrall of Putin. So you can bet that the Brandon crime family and Hunter is not involved with this at all. So they're probably just upset they don't have their, uh, that might be another reason they did this. <laughs> they're not in on the action, right? Gazprom, back to the article, controls 51% of the company with four European energy firms, one in France, one in the Netherlands, and two in Germany, sharing the remaining 49% of the stock and having the right to control downstream sales of the inexpensive natural gas to local distributors in Germany and Western Europe. Gazprom's profits were shared with the Russian government and state gas and oil revenues were estimated in some years to amount to as much as, here you go, folks, 45%. That's almost half of Russia's annual budget from selling natural gas. That's why this is so important to Russia. That's why it's impossible that they would have blown up their own pipeline. Half their budget comes from this. Back to the article. America's political fears were real. Putin would now have an additional and much needed major source of income. Of course, that's their fault for cutting off our oil. And Germany and the rest of Western Europe would become addicted to low, addicted <laughs> to low cost natural gas supplied by Russia while diminishing European alliance reliance on America. See, that's the real problem. So they, they, they cut off our oil and our natural gas, but they want to sell it to Europe and still make the profits. This is disgusting. He says, in fact, that's exactly what happened. Many Germans saw Nord Stream 1 as part of the deliverance of former Chancellor Willy Brandt, famous Ostpolitik. That's O-S-T-P-O-L-I-T-I-C. Ost, I believe, is German for East. So that would be Eastern Europe, which would enable post-war Germany to rehabilitate itself and other European nations destroyed in World War II by, among other initiatives, utilizing cheap Russian gas to fuel a prosperous Western European market and trading economy. So Willy Brandt, I'm not Pianchi, do you know about this? Do you know how much uh, impact he had or a call he had to, to unify Germany? So for those that uh, aren't sure of history, Germany was split after World War II. The Russians took half and kept it. Uh, we took the other half, you know, France, Germany, France, uh, England, and the United States, and kept it. <laughs> and Berlin was on the Russian part, but we cut a, um, um, 
a little causeway there. I know I took it. There was like a train and a highway from West Germany through East Germany to Berlin, which is completely surrounded by East Germany, including the Berlin Wall, which I crossed back in 1982 at Checkpoint Charlie. So I'm really familiar with what this used to look like. I haven't seen it now. I'll be curious now. But then it, it was it was god awful. <laughs> what was happening between yeah, it's kind of like North and South Vietnam. Uh, yeah, which is completely arbitrary distinction. Well, Vietnam was split ironically in 1954, the year after the Korean War stalemated. So my theory is the permanent war class. They split Vietnam. They split Korea in 1945 at the end of World War II. So they always set up the next war. This seems to be how the, this is the pattern. Yeah, so we have World War II. Go ahead. North and South Korea. Uh, U.S. North and South. Yeah, they love to do those things. Mm-hmm. Sure. Why would you split a country? You know, if you weren't planning on having them fight each other, which is exactly what happened. So China and Russia want the North, Vietnam and Korea. The United States backs the South and then calls that we then say we have to defend South Korea, South Vietnam, so the the, the communists don't take over. Well, you gave them half the country to begin with. <laughs> you know, what did you expect would happen? Of course, they knew it was going to happen. We'd be at war. So the permanent war class got us into World War II. Actually, they got us into World War One. This is where this really started. The biggest mistake that, that uh, this country made was getting into World War One, except for defending our shipping in, in the Atlantic, because there was no Japanese power at that point. They were fighting the Russians in uh, 1905 and, and later. So the, there was no Pacific War at this time. So the World War One was confined to Europe, mostly. Uh, there was an Eastern Front, but nothing like the Western Front. The war, the war was fought between France, um, England, uh, and Germany. And millions of young men died for no reason, you know, over the course of, what, a couple of miles of trenches in either direction? It, it, the most wasteful war in all of human history, I think, is World War I. I mean, all wars are bad, but this one was particularly uh, irrational in the way that it was fought. And the problem was the United States under Wilson comes in and beats Germany. You know, ideally, this should have ended like most Euro- European wars end. They go home. They lose so many people, they just say, okay, we're done. <laughs> and they go home. Nothing's really resolved, and they go back and fight about 30 years later. So every 30 years or so, the next generation of young men comes up, and they kill off a bunch of them. Uh, and then the cowards are left to rebuild the country, guaranteeing the next war, you know, 30 years hence. And so that's, how, that's European history that goes back several hundred, maybe a couple thousand years. Um, that's how they do it there. So there's no reason for us to be involved. But because we got involved, Germany lost, went into a depression, had massive reparations to pay. Hitler rises up, declares national socialism, which is leftism takes over, forms the Nazi party, and you guys know the rest of the story. Well, at the end of World War II, you know, the permanent war class is like, hey, this is great. This worked out great for us. We got the factories, you know, we get the arms, you know, everybody else is destroyed. Let's keep this going. So they separate uh, Korea in 1945 and form the UN. Well, Korea goes to war a few years later, 1950 to 1953. Well, they can't have, once the war ends, where's the next war? Well, they separate Vietnam in 1954. Then, of course, late 50s, early 60s, France goes in, then we go in. And then uh, Johnson, uh, according to Nixon, kills Kennedy. Uh, and then uh, Vietnam becomes Vietnam. Well, of course, when Vietnam ended, we had a recoup period. And then we had to start our next war. And then uh, George Bush dutifully gets us involved in uh, George Bush, the elder and the younger, dutifully got us involved in two ridiculous wars in Iraq. Uh, Clinton, Obama keep, get us in Afghanistan. Um, and then Trump tries to get us out. And then, of course, you know, what happened with COVID and everything else. And now we're in Ukraine. <laughs> You know, after Brandon surrenders in Afghanistan, surrenders our military, surrenders our arms, surrenders everything, and now we're in Ukraine, and look what's happening there. Well, things don't go Brandon's way, so they end up, uh, or the globalist way, so they end up blowing up the Nord Stream pipeline. So, Pianchi, how's that for a scenario? <laughs> That's good, and the same thing applies to the Caspian Sea, <clears throat> the okay, Afghanistan. The Caspian Sea 
has a tremendous source of natural gas. Mm-hmm. And right now, it goes, the pipeline goes through Russia controlled areas. And the whole idea was wanting to go through Afghanistan, but you can't go through Afghanistan to the Indian Ocean because of the way the country is so situated. Yep. Although Oregon is the national president, you still have each of those provinces that you have to mm-hmm. go through, and you're going to have to negotiate with each and every one of those leaders of those provinces. And it doesn't work out to your behalf because you can't control all of them rather than controlling one Aaron. The president, Erdogan. Oh, yeah, it's hard to say. I think it's Erdogan or Erdogan. I've forgotten how to pronounce Erdogan? it. Erdogan? Yeah, yeah, it's a tough name to pronounce. Well, it's Turkish. You know, I don't speak Turkish well. Um, but this is this is all just, just just fascinating how this is, uh, you know, coming about here. But um, I just remember, to out what it was. Uh-huh. Go ahead. Yeah, Armenian-Americans. Uh-huh. Uh, they oh, yeah. promised Obama support in his election if he would listen to their plea to file charges against Turkey for genocide mm-hmm. during the Ottoman Empire. And Obama uh, was favorable of it before he was elected, but once he got elected, nope, nope, nope. Yeah, well, Armenians celebrate, uh, not celebrate, but they memorialize what happened with the genocide. Uh, with Turkey uh, in San Francisco, and it was 1915, and that was the start of World War I, actually the second year of World War One. So the Turks were fighting everybody, uh, but they're also fighting, you know, the the people next door, and so it's it's really pretty uh, terrible what happened. I think two million Armenians were killed. So there's a large Armenian com- you know uh, community in San Francisco. So I'm quite familiar. Hey, I got a question for you. It was a war. All right, go ahead. The term genocide was not even existed then. Yeah. The term genocide genocide came about. In 1948, on behalf of a person by the name uh, Lafian, uh, with uh, it came out of the UN, but mm-hmm. the word genocide, the terminology genocide, didn't he? The Lafayette Raphael, Raphael Lafayette came up with that term. And during that war with the in the Ottoman Empire, that, war, that word, that definition, ideology was not in existence. It was just war. And yeah. a spoils of war. Yeah, yeah, a lot of terms change too. We used to have a war department, now it's a defense department. So language changes all the time. Um, there's something, uh, I have a curiosity here. Romania was one of the biggest targets in, in World War II for both the Germans and the Russians. The, the, I believe it's the Ploesti oil fields in Romania. Germany wanted to, to basically keep their war machine going. And when they lost those, I think Russia took part of them, I think we took them also, that, uh, that, that just cut off all the gasoline, cut off all the fuel, the diesel to the German war machine in World War II. And that's really what brought the, the Nazis to a halt was they, they had no fuel for their planes or their tanks. And I'm wondering now, is Romania a, a player in the energy scene or, or are those fields where they, uh, I guess, used up or destroyed? You know about those? Let's look them up. I don't know. There's a lot of stories out there, but that would help bring you to your knees. You don't have anything to... Uh... All your mechanization comes to a complete stop. Well, that was the biggest reason, you know, and that, that in fact, a lot of the, especially in the, in the Luftwaffe, the German Air Force, you know, they had pilots fight from, from the Spanish Civil War. They didn't do like Americans did. You know, you fight so many missions and you go home. I mean, that's one thing that the smart that we did. I mean, the British didn't do that either. So you had bomber pilots that would basically fly until they died, you know, however many years. And the British lost an amazing amount of bombers in World War II. 
Um, and so that's, as people forget that the air war was, was hugely costly. Well, here's a, here's a little trivia fact. We're a little off sideline. But both the British and um, American forces in Europe use these big, slow, uh, very unmaneuverable four-engine bombers. The, the British used the Lancaster, and we had the, the Flying Fortress. And yet there was this airplane. Do you remember the Mosquito? The British airplane, the Mosquito, made of plywood? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Carried the same bomb load you know, as the B-17. They carried the same bomb with mm-hmm. the B-17. It was twice as fast. It was faster than the fighters. Uh, at night, you couldn't see it. You know, it would avoid the, the searchlights, uh, whereas the, the, it didn't fly in formations. And these things did pinpoint raids. They did daylight raids with these things at, you know, treetop level. Very precise, very accurate, uh, and very good. They actually blew open a wall in a prison camp uh, held by the Gestapo so that the, uh, the people, either French or Danish prisoners, uh, could escape, you know, before they were all executed. And so the mosquitoes did some amazing. We could have won. We built mosquitoes. You know, the losses on both sides, the British and our own, you know, pilots and crew would have been dramatically less. And those planes would have been dramatically more effective. But that's stupidity. But people well, you know like their big bombers and, you know. You know, what was really crippling mm-hmm. with uh, the loss of bombers was that for a long time they was bombing during the daylight hours. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And it was getting shot down with a German gun. You know, I have to get take my head off the Germany. They have a means of and uh, it, it, intelligence of making these guns, man, that can shoot shells, seem like clean around the world. Hmm. But then they started nighttime bombing. Of course, it wasn't as accurate, mm-hmm. and the efficiency was way down. So it was a dilemma. Uh, Slow-flying aircraft bombers during the daytime getting shot down. And uh, trying to bomb at night, but uh, you don't know exactly who you're hitting. Yeah, and the British bomb by night, and the Americans bomb, our forces bomb by day. Um, but uh, but the problem was that uh, they used the wrong airplanes. <laughs> you know, because they're so arrogant that uh, these bombers are being shot out of the sky like crazy, and yet we had a plane that was twice as fast, carried the same bomb load, you know, didn't require a bunch of defensive armament, all the extra weight of the guns, uh, and could have gone in, gotten out before the Germans knew what hit them in most cases, and if we built, you know, 20,000 mosquitoes as opposed to 20,000 heavy bombers, um, who knows, the war might have been a lot shorter um, because of them. But they didn't do it, you know, stupidity, because they wanted big bombers. The, the, it's like the, the generals always fight the last war. Okay, we're getting sidetracked. I'm going to have to pick up this article in the third hour. So let me keep going here. Let's get back to Nord Stream. This is fascinating. Nord Stream 1, it's back to our article by Seymour Hirsch uh, in Substack, talking about how uh, Brandon, and our own government and the CIA and the Navy is responsible for blowing up the Nord Stream pipelines. This is Nord Stream 1 was dangerous enough in the view of NATO and Washington, but Nord Stream 2, whose construction was completed in September of 2021. So, of course, Trump, you know, this is Trump was trying to stop this, right? He, would, he said this wouldn't happen under his administration. Anyway, completed in 2021 would, if approved by German regulators, double the amount of cheap gas that would be available to Germany and Western Europe. The second pipeline also would provide enough gas for more than 50% of Germany's annual consumption. Tensions were con- constantly escalated between Russia and NATO, backed by the aggressive foreign policy of the Brandon insurrection. Opposition to Nord Stream 2 flared on the eve of the Brandon inauguration in January 2021, when Senate Republicans led by Ted Cruz of Texas repeatedly raised the political threat of cheap Russian, I keep saying cheap, right? Russian natural gas during the confirmation hearing of Blinken as Secretary of State. Blinken was an aide to Brandon. That's how he got his job. He has no particular qualifications. and He doesn't have diplomatic credentials. He was, you know, Brandon's friend, his aide. 
that's how we got the gig, right? So by then, a unified Senate had successfully passed a law that, as this would be Senator Cruz told Blinken, halted the pipeline in its tracks. There will be enormous political and economic pressure from the German government, then headed by Angela Merkel, to get the second pipeline online. See, this is the part I don't understand. Congress has no more uh, right or justification in stopping the pipeline than Brandon does. If we want to sell our natural gas, we need to drill it, market it, price it accordingly, and make it available. That's the proper way to do it. But the idea that we can shut the Russian – I've never approved of shutting the Russian pipeline down. You don't do that. You compete with people. You don't blow up their pipelines or shut them down or sanction them or things like that. You know, would they want that, them to do that to us? No. Article says, would Brandon stand up to the Germans? Blinken said yes, but added that he had not discussed the specifics of the incoming uh, <laughs> president's views. I know his strong conviction that this is a bad idea, the Nord Stream 2, he said. I know that he would have uh, us use every persuasive tool that we have to convince our friends and partners, including Germany, not to move forward with it. Well, Germany does, Germany does what they want. <laughs> okay. Trump found that out, too, when he had a hard time getting the Germany to pay for their own defense, which Germany doesn't want to do. They'd rather have the American taxpayer pay for their own defense. Why? Because it's cheaper. <laughs> it's better for their budget. They're not stupid. We are. <laughs> but that's a different story. Article says, a few months later, as the construction of the second pipeline neared completion, uh, Biden blinked. That May, in a stunning turnaround, the administration waived sanctions against Nord Stream. This is when Trump got all upset. So what are you waving the sanctions for, you idiot? Well, that goes without saying. Uh, sanctions against Nord Stream AG, that's the company, with a State Department official conceding that trying to stop the pipeline through sanctions and diplomacy had, quote, always been a long shot. <laughs> No, it hadn't. <laughs> Back to the article. Behind the scenes, administration officials reportedly urged Ukrainian President Zelensky, by then facing a threat of Russian invasion, not to criticize the move. So Zelensky, as we know, is the Brandon puppet uh, to set up a country for money laundering and bioweapons labs. That's what Ukraine's purpose is to uh, the globalists and to our own uh, insurrection in the White House. Article says a few months later, as the construction of the second pipeline neared completion, Biden, I think I read that around. I'm sorry. Okay. Skipping down a bit here. There were immediate consequences. Senate Republicans by Cruz announced an immediate blockade of all of Brandon's foreign policy nominees and delayed passage of the annual defense bill for months. Deep into the fall, Politico later depicted Brandon's turnaround on the second Russian pipeline as the one decision, arguably more than the chaotic military withdrawal from Afghanistan, which we, of course, call the surrender, that has imperiled Brandon's agenda. The administration was floundering, despite getting a reprieve on the crisis in mid-November when Germany's energy regulators suspended approval of the second Nord Stream pipeline. So I guess they did do it. Natural gas prices surged 8% within days. Oops. Amid growing fears in Germany and Europe that the pipeline suspension and the growing possibility of a war between Russia and the Ukraine would lead to a very much unwanted cold winter. It was not clear to Washington just where Olaf Scholz, Germany's newly appointed chancellor, stood. Interesting, they still call it chancellor. I find that interesting. Months earlier, after the fall of Afghanistan, in other words, our surrender, Stoltz had publicly endorsed French President Emmanuel Macron's call for a more autonomous European foreign policy in a speech in Prague, clearly suggesting less reliance on Washington and its mercurial actions. Now, it's interesting that a lot of people think that the French election was stolen, too, that Marie Le Pen, uh, Marine Le Pen should be the, the president of France, that uh, Emmanuel Macron uh, had every bit as much vote fraud as Brandon did, and for the same reasons, to keep the globalists in control, and that would be in control of energy, too. Back to the article. 
Throughout all of this, Russian troops had been steadily and ominously huddling a building up on the borders of Ukraine. And by the end of December, more than 100,000 soldiers were in position to strike from Belarus, which does listen to us, by the way, and Crimea, which doesn't, but that's what we'll work on that. Alarm was growing in Washington, including an assessment from Blinken that, these, that those troop numbers could be, quote, doubled in short order. Well, it's more than that. They've got like half a million troops coming under the, the Ukrainian-Russian border. Russia is not going to lose this. Russia was never going to lose this. Russia can't lose this. They're the superpower. <laughs> so there's no way that the superpower is going to lose it. It's not like us in Vietnam, you know, where uh, basically there was, there was a no-win situation. Russia's not going to lose this one. So the only question is, how many people are going to die before they go to the peace that they should have negotiated before the war began? That's the only question. That's the question not being asked. When, you know, how many people have to die before they negotiate the peace? However, it turns out that they were going to have to negotiate anyway. That's why all these people have been being killed for no reason. 100,000, 150,000 people being killed for what? Because Zelensky is a puppet of the United States and Russia can't lose? That's what's going on here. This is arrogance. People are dying due to arrogance. Back to the article. I'm going to take a break here in a second. I'm going to check in with Pianchi. Throughout all this, Russian troops have been steadily building up. I said that. Okay. The administration's attention once again was focused on Nord Stream. As long as Europe remained dependent on pipelines for cheap natural gas, Washington was afraid that countries like Germany would be reluctant to supply Ukraine with the money and weapons it needed to defeat Russia. Let me say that again. This is key. Washington was afraid that, let me start again. The administration, that would be Brandon, administration's attention once again focused on Nord Stream. As long as Europe remained dependent on the pipelines for cheap natural gas, Washington was afraid that countries like Germany would be reluctant to supply Ukraine with the money and weapons it needed to defeat Russia. Well, it was never going to defeat Russia. Seymour Hersh is a liberal. You've got to understand that. It's a liberal article. Right? So this is why you'll, you'll get things like cheap natural gas and, and details left out that I'm, that I'm trying to fill in. Russia was not going to lose. So Brandon wants every – just like when, when Bush got all those countries involved in his bogus – uh, Iraqi war. And not that Saddam Hussein was a good guy. He wasn't. He was a dictator. All right, but that's not the point. A lot of Americans died uh, due to Bush, both Bush's arrogance. These are wars of arrogance and ego. These are not wars of national security. So Afghanistan was a war of arrogance uh, uh, or just a permanent war class. It was basically like an investment, much like Ukraine. So Brandon wants Germany to supply tanks and money to Ukraine to allegedly, quote, defeat Russia. Ain't going to happen. Now, I've talked about this before. Let me get check in with Pianchi again here. Have you seen those visuals? Have you seen the videos of the German tanks with the Iron Cross, the World War II symbol, running across Ukraine, <laughs> or at least German tanks? That's not a good image, folks. Matt Pianchi here. Oh, he's probably busy. Listening heartily away. Let me get back to this. And we've got about 10 minutes before uh, Rebecca Charles joins us. He says it was, un, it, it was at this unsettled moment that, that Biden authorized Jake Sullivan to bring together an interagency group to come up with a plan. All the options were to be on the table, but only one would emerge. Okay, so let's get into the details of how uh, the CIA and the Navy, at the order of Brandon, or Brandon's handler, blew up the Nord Stream pipeline. It says in December of 2021, two months before the first Russian tanks rolled into Ukraine, Jake Sullivan convened a meeting of the newly formed task force, men and women from the Joint Chiefs of Staff, that'd be Millie, the CIA, I forgot who's head of that, and the State and Treasury Departments. What's the Treasury Department doing there? And asked for recommendations about how to respond to Putin's impending invasion. It would be the first of a series of top secret meetings in a room on the top floor of the old executive office building adjacent to the White House. 
for anybody that's been to Washington, that's a big gray building. I think it's for the vice president's offices, uh, too, if it's ever occupied by uh, Kamala Harris. But that's where it is. Uh, and it's just a, it's a huge office building. A lot of stuff takes place over there. Anyway, it says there was also the home that uh, that's also the home of the president's foreign intelligence advisory board, the PFIAB or FAB, as I would call it. There was the usual back and forth chatter that eventually led to a crucial preliminary question. Would the recommendation forewarned by, uh, forwarded by the group to the president be reversible? such as another layer of sanctions and currency restrictions, or irreversible, that is, kinetic actions. That would be war, folks, uh, which could not be undone. So in other words, would this cause a war? That was the question to be asked. I guess they figured no, but it remains to be seen, because now we all know about it. This is where it gets interesting, right? It says what, what became clear to the participants, according to the source, with direct knowledge of the process, in other words, the, 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 in other words, the deep throat, <laughs> the secret uh, informant here that's you know, to be named uh, you know, 30, 40 years from now, right, uh, is that Sullivan intended for the group to come up with a plan for the destruction of the two Nord Stream pipelines and that he was delivering on the desires of the resident. That would be uh, Brandon. Over the next several meetings, the participants debated. The, the reason I'm going over this in such detail is it's is an intricate story, but it really gives you insight into how corrupt this administration is, well, even how corrupt this regime is, how corrupt the deep state is, how they will put the entire nation at risk for their own political goals. They'd risk a war with Russia just to either make money, gain power, um, or both at our expense. That's why this story is so dangerous, and they've completely subverted um, the, you know, the law. And I don't say the rule of law. I don't like that term. But they've completely subverted the law. They didn't report to Congress. They didn't tell anybody. The, the, the normal checks and balances that would have prevented this absurdity were never followed. And that's why it's all impeachable. And these people need to be arrested. I'll go on. Article says over the next several meetings... Well, the yeah, they need to be arrested. Mm-hmm. Possibly given the cocktail of injections. <clears throat> but like you said... This I don't think it's worthy of a death penalty. Huh? No, this isn't. This is this isn't a capital crime. This is a. Um, it's a serious crime. It's a major felony. But I don't, it doesn't rise to the level of execution. Well, it's think. called people to be killed, haven't it? Okay, so here's a question for you. And uh, uh, moral dilemma. I used to do this with my kid all the time. Moral dilemma. The people that were uh, at the hearing the other day from Twitter. Those arrogant SOBs that. Um, are, are their allegiance is obviously to the UN, the globalists, and uh, their operatives in suppressing free speech. In other words, information about cures and treatments of COVID. And a lot of people died. Over a million people in this country have died up to this point. Now, I put the blame squarely on, on Big Pharma, who created the jab, because they don't care. They're just making billions off those deaths. Uh, Dr. Fascist and the entire government health uh, organization, that had the mandates and uh, pushed this through and declared the emergency, the, the deaths are on their doorstep. But how much would you put on Twitter for suppressing the information that could have saved at least 80 to 90% of those lives, as Dr. Zelenko told me, Dr. Peter McCullough on the show told me, various other people you know, who I have on, on record said that, look, there's no reason for those people to die. That except for those that had comorbidities and had other you know, uh, you know, major health problems, that uh, some, depending on who you talk to, some 80 to 90% of the people that caught COVID would have been saved with early treatment. So now how much are the Twitter people responsible? Did they, in fact, commit murder by withholding that information? Or there is another, uh, you know, more appropriate crime that you put them under? They definitely should be in jail for what they did. I mean, they're accessories well, yes, to the they murder. Did. Yeah. They, they withheld information for citizens, whereas they could have made a logical mm-hmm. 
decision itself, which would save their life, mm-hmm. knowingly they withheld it and they shadow banned, they should be given the cocktails. No, see, I don't, I don't think it rises to the level of execution. I, I, well, I, but I do think this is – well, see, I would do so – I would have two – It was like espionage spying. Okay. All right. I mean, so what are you going to do? Let them go. Let them come back again next week and get you some more. They learned from no. this. So next no, time no, no, you no, can no. have a harder time trying to find out who's doing this. You know, we talk about the deep state. We talk about mm-hmm. oligarchy. But you don't put no. We don't put names to them. Who are these people? Let's put their name. You know the person that uh, in your newspaper down there in Florida that said mm-hmm. that DeSantis was a racist, Stephen Johnson, who works for that one law firm. I'm not familiar. You remember with that? But tell me. Uh, vaguely. Not, why don't you fill in the details? Well, yes. It was an article that showed in a newspaper out of Florida where it says black leader apologized for calling uh, DeSantis a racist. Well, I found out who you work for. I called his company and wanted to speak to a Richard, and I can't think of the name of the company. His, the company is named after him. But I was able to talk to his name is Stephen Hunter Johnson, mm-hmm. and I was able to talk to the secretary, and she wrote a memo to give to the owner, and I said he needs to be fired. Here he is making these public statements, calling the fascists a racist with no, uh, no evidence whatsoever. He needs mm-hmm. to be fired. And yeah. apparently he must have made a blunder because his own compadres came out and apologized overall. No, he needs to be fired. Just like we have had conservatives fired for things in the past from uh, the pillow man on down uh, in schools and every place else, he needs to be fired. Oh, conservatives get fired for one comment that the left doesn't like. And the, the, no, I agree that, uh, you know, if, you, if, that, if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. So in other words, these people should be um, just as criminally liable, you know, for, for what they say too. Here's the thing though, uh, in what I was talking about yesterday. So this so your view is execution for, for Twitter who, who suppressed this information. Um, my view would be concurrent sentences. There's two major crimes that they committed. They committed election fraud by suppressing information uh, uh, that, that they were, or that they were told to by the, uh, the Democrat FBI. Uh, that makes them state actors. That makes them undeputized law enforcement. So they're acting as law enforcement illegally. So that's a crime. Uh, they're guilty of uh, Title 18, Section 241, you know, suppressing rights. Nobody um, pays no attention to those laws. That's why you need to have a constitutional amendment. Then you can really go out. What do you think China well, would have done to an example? Oh, they would have they killed well, them. Now, I'm going to say what you think he, they would have. What have they done to executives in the past? Mm-hmm. They kill put them. them to death. Yeah. Real fast. But I don't want to live in China. I don't want to live in that society. So the question is, what is the appropriate in our well, republic? we eat Chinese food here in America. We don't go to China to get it. So there's nothing mm-hmm. wrong adopting effective and good practices that keep things moral and safe. Yeah, I've always had a problem with capital punishment because, you know, you never want to put an innocent person to death. You don't want to do that. And I don't mind if, if well, murderers really, have a miserable life. Their names, you know? their names uh-huh. are on the tweets. Their names are on the tweets, the back and forth. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, I'm not saying they're they conspired. It's not about no innocent person going to death. It's yeah. what they've done that have caused the death of millions of people. Yeah. Yeah, no, I understand that. And I'm thinking long-term jail for, for two crimes. One, the denial of life-saving information, and two, election fraud. 
and I'm not sure what the statutes they'd be under, um, but these would be state crimes as well. So they could, they could be guilty. They could be held guilty in every state because Twitter you know, broadcasts to every state. Let me hold you up for a bit. I'm going to hold this article for a bit. We've got a really special guest here. And so I'm going to take a little bit of time to uh, uh, just kind of go over, make sure, introduce uh, Rebecca Charles. And so, Rebecca, um, we got in touch with each other. We're Facebook friends. You know, we've been talking a little bit. And she has a story to tell. I'm going to make her line live right now. And so what I want to do um, is just open the floor and just give you all the time you want. We've got the hour. And if we don't finish this hour, we've got other hours. In fact, I'm hoping to have you back on a fairly regular basis. So just take your time. Uh, I'm just not even with a whole big intro, just let you start and, and tell your story. And uh, welcome to Action Radio. Good morning. Uh, good morning, Greg. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to speak about what happened to my daughter. And I'm going to try to pull it together, but it still hurts. Um, oh, I know. Take your time. And if you need a break, you know, we can always talk about other things for a while and you can come back. We are completely open on this show to anything. So okay. you never have to feel you have to do something. You don't have to feel you have to say anything. You can come back later, you know, and just whatever you want to do. Uh, this is this is your forum to tell your story. And I'm going to open this up to anybody with a story like this. We had uh, Steve uh, Shara on, on last week. And so, like I say, just take your time. we got plenty of Yeah, thank you. Thank you. You're well, welcome. A little bit about Danielle. Um, it was my first pregnancy, and it was planned, and she was so healthy. I was drinking all the proper nutrition and fresh carrot juice and everything. She's going to have a super eyes and brain and, you know, my protein shakes, never even touch coffee or alcohol. And, you know, time for delivery, uh, they delayed my delivery um, due to the insurance. And I was upgraded to a, a, a high, high-risk pregnancy because my cervix was an opening. So that's the first trauma. Um, so... By they delaying the delivery, instead of giving me a C-section, Danielle lost oxygen when she was, when she was going through the delivery. Um, and I lived not knowing that, was lied to by the doctors, that this is my child, every child is different, you know, saying, okay, she's not sitting up. She's not doing what she's supposed to do. Um, but, you know, we worked around it, and I confronted the doctor two and a half years, and, you know, he told me, don't come back to see him again. So part of the group. So that's where my first um, warning came with doctors and distrust the doctors because they have another agenda. It's money. And, well, Daniel went to special needs school. Um, I got her in at three years old, and she functioned um, the best that she could. And at five, when she went into the public school, the first thing they start saying is that she needs to go on Ritalin. She needs to go on Ritalin. She needs to focus. She's not focusing now. Being a young mother and not being exposed to any of this, I was born in Trinidad and I never seen kids on medication. I never seen any of my family members' children on medication. This was so foreign to me, I couldn't understand it. So I fought with them until I had to succumb and agree that, okay, she will learn better if she goes on Ritalin. From Ritalin, it was another drug and another drug, and she had to see a psychiatrist. And I questioned the psychiatrist once, I said, why are you giving her stuff to go up, stuff to go down? This is dangerous. And they, again, they got angry at me for questioning them. So I used to listen to Gary Knowles on the radio, and Gary Knowles said that Ritalin is the number one stolen prescription by children and people, and 
it's a class two drug and if you inject it in you you would get the same high as cocaine so i i absolutely was shocked and came home and looked at those pills and said i couldn't take it myself how could i give it to my daughter and i started breaking it in half weaning her off of it um i took her out of school at that point i was like okay the school system wasn't helping they had my child on the third floor with children who were blind and i said if she if there's a fire there's an emergency who would you know how would she come down the school will not allow me to um this is just a little story how we ended up here no, you're fine. Uh, take all the time you want. This is this is fascinating. And see, I want to I want to give as much detail as we can uh, to give as much detail of of Danielle that we can talk about and really have people understand how much work that that you and every other parent puts into their kid, especially with what's going with the the, the medical. Uh, Institute these days. I mean, Ritalin, like I, said, I would have been put on Ritalin. If I was born 20 years later, I guarantee you, I'm as ADHD as it gets. And so I understand this completely, but uh, these details are very important. And so it gives a much better picture of the entire medical industry. So like I say, I, no problem. Keep going. These are, these are fascinating okay, details. Thank you. So when I would want to see my daughter, they would tell me I have to make an appointment. I can't just come into the school to see her. And that, that worried me. So once I went to see her, I saw they were arresting a 70-year-old boy. And uh, by the, I was just, I was shocked. I was like, this is, this is unbelievable. So when I took off the medication, they had a little issue with me. And I decided, okay, I'm going to pull her off of the school and I'm going to fight the district to have a homeschool. Um, well, they didn't like that because they were losing money. The school was going to lose, I think, sixty to $80,000 because a special needs child is no longer there on the classification, on the IEP, um, and they send CPS for me, Child Protective Services. Mm-hmm. And the woman who came to visit my home thought that I was doing everything for my daughter. And she said she could have nothing against, she cannot write up any negative things about me, and thank God for that, because they would have, now that I know, they would have taken my child away from me. So I fought... I took Danielle over to the Institute of Achievement for Human Potential in Pennsylvania. They tested her. They said, get her off of all carbohydrates, all sugars, all um, starter on probiotics, um, different omegas, different oils. And I saw the change happen in Danielle. I saw she was focusing more. I saw she wasn't just this zombie that when she goes on this medication, she would cry and she would, her belly hurts and she was just a skinny little girl, you know. And she started to strive. So here we are going for the one-month, one-year checkup with the doctor, and the doctor says, oh, she's too skinny. She's losing weight. What are you doing? She's not eating. I said, no, my daughter eats a lot. She eats a lot of vegetables, and she eats a lot of chicken, a lot of meat. She just don't have carbohydrates. So there they are. They questioned me again. And literally, I had to force them. And they wanted to give her another, um, you know, all the vaccines again, you know, give her more. I said, no, she's not going to have any more. Um, she had enough, and um, because now I'm more knowledgeable to where all of this is going. Um, so my daughter has been homeschooled. Um, just a little uh, information, my ex-husband and I, we got divorced at two years old, so I was a single parent when I was doing all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, fast forward a little bit, I got married 17 years ago to a wonderful man who has been Daniel's father, and he loved Daniel as his own child. And Danielle strive. You know, we lived in Locust Valley, New York, and she loved it. She would go for walks on the beach because, you know, it's right around the corner from our home. And she had her aides coming 
And I was always very, very worried about the future. So at 16, I started um, getting the, uh, I also had to fight Lucas Valley School District for Daniel to not go into one of those horrible schools um, because she was higher function than what the schools were giving those kids in. And um, so Daniel had a lot of homeschooling. Daniel had a lot of special uh, one-on-one. Um, and then she went to another school, which was, you know, better for her. And she had a psychologist who used to come home and work with her and, um, like, show her different skills. So we started Daniel off when she was 18 on a job program, and Daniel worked from 18 to 27 at Sunrise Assisted Living, which is she worked in the kitchen assisting with breakfast for the elderly, and that was her joy. She would get up 5 o'clock in the morning. It was the most exciting thing for Danielle to to get to go to Sunrise and and talk to the elderly and and serve them breakfast and giggle and laugh. She was just the happiest child. Danielle was never angry, never upset. Um, She didn't have a bad bone or evil bone in her body. She was just a good, good, good child and and love you. She would tell you she loved you as soon as she meets you, you know, and she could sense that you were kind to her. She would tell you, I love you, I love you, I love you. So Sunrise Assisted Living is like eight minutes from my house. The hospital is also eight minutes from my house. Fast forward 2020, you know, the COVID came about. We were very prepared. We had everything. Um, Daniel was never sickly. Daniel went every year for a yearly checkup, not because she's sick but because she's healthy and she had to because she had Medicaid. So she had to do a yearly visit. And then we took her to um, an endocrinologist, and they would do extensive blood work just to see, you know, if anything's going wrong with Danielle. And um, she saw her for 16 years. Danielle have all her blood work, excellent blood work, only a thyroid, you know, issue. Uh, Danielle traveled all over the world. Danielle saw a specialist because I was just the mom who wanted to make sure my child would be perfect, as perfect as I could get her, to the point where I actually bought a a Seacrest hyperbaric oxygen chamber in my house and had it installed with a micro-bulk tank outside so that Daniel will get hyperbaric treatments in house. So Daniel Daniel was just just very healthy. 2020, none of us got sick, Um, and we were fine. She was sad at 2020 because she could no longer go to work. She also volunteered at Kids by the Bunch, you know, uh, where she would help them, the little kids, serve them breakfast or lunch or cut their paperwork out. She just loved to be outdoors. She loved to be with people. She just loved people, and she was just very trusting. Uh, 2021 rolled around, and Danielle got to go back to her camp and go back to a couple places, and August, we celebrated her 28th birthday, August 5th. Um, the week of August 27th, one of her workers, her staff, came. And Danielle usually go once a week to the chiropractor, once a week to the acupuncturist. So she has a whole routine. And she came home, she took Danielle out, and she took her to the acupuncturist. And she said she had a fever that took her temperature. And she did have a fever. And... Um, and this was her, her assistant, and um, she proceeded to go into the room with Daniel for acupuncture and uh, bring her home afterwards. So she was, Daniel was exposed to the virus 
through this workout. And when she came home, she said, Rebecca, I'm not feeling well. Um, I have a little fever. I said, okay, go home. It's okay. Go home. I said, Daniel, she has to go home early. And this was around maybe 5, 30, 6 o'clock. And um, Daniel hugged her and kissed her, but she hugs and kissed all her workers and kissed her a lot. And um, next day she called me and said she's positive for COVID. So knowing that we knew what we knew, we were not afraid. Uh, we were not afraid. And um, this was Tuesday on Wednesday. She said she had COVID. On Thursday, Daniel said to cough. Now, once a year, Daniel have a, a cold that lasts five to six days. So we started on meds. Um, by Friday, Daniel started with a fever. I started to get worried. Okay, we started on antibiotics um, and all the other medicines we have, all the high-dose vitamin Cs and Ds and everything. Um, the following week, she said the fever wasn't going away. It would slow down and come back and slow down and come back. Daniel is still eating, talking. I'm still making her breakfast, making her lunch. You know, she's still active. Um, Thursday night, I was worried because I saw her breathing was a little, I looked at her stomach and her breathing looked a little shallow, so I checked her pulse ox and it was in the high 80s and I got scared and I called my friend who's a pharmacist and he said, give her the nebulizer. So I gave her the nebulizer and it went up to 94 to 96. And, um, okay, now I'm panicking. Friday morning, I checked again. It was high 80s and um, gave her the nebulizer. And I did something that I I would never do. As I, well, my husband and I would call for oxygen, so if we could get oxygen. And they said they need a prescription. This is Friday. How we will get oxygen on time, we didn't know. I called my neighbor, who is a doctor, and he's affiliated with Northwell Health hospital in Glen Cove and thinking that I would be in the best of care, thinking that, you know, he's well known, he's like the neighborhood doctor. I trusted him and he said, take her into the emergency room. I will call her in and let them know that you're coming and you have to stay with her. So, and I believe he was innocent. He didn't, he didn't know what their plan was. He was innocent to this. Um, because he no longer worked at the hospital, but he trusted the medical people at that time. And I took her in, and Daniel did not want to go. And this breaks my heart is because she said, no, no, I don't want to go. No. And she didn't want to go. And I felt I was doing the right thing by taking her in. Let me just see what, you know, what's, what it is really going on, you know, why your fever is still lasting, why your oxygen going down. And, um, Right away as they walked in, they said my husband couldn't come in and I could stay. And they said, oh, she's positive for COVID. Um, then they did an x-ray and they said she has double pneumonia. Now, I, being a mom and being having a healthy child and never having anything wrong, and this is the second time Daniel ever been in the hospital. First was when she was born, when they damaged her. Now she's going in 28 years later. I was scared. Because pneumonia seemed scary to me. And um, I trusting, like, okay, they will give her pneumonia medication. So I asked them, can you give her monoclonal antibodies? And they said, oh, no, 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 it's past, it's past five days. We can't give monoclonal antibodies. We'll have to give her um, medication. They never gave me informed consent. 
they told me to sign the document to, for them to treat. So I signed it. But I'm thinking in my head, pneumonia been around forever, so they're going to treat it for pneumonia. Why? I didn't know about I didn't know about remdesivir. Yeah, remdesivir. Yeah, I know exactly what yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. Okay. I did not know. I knew a lot, but I did not know anything about remdesivir. And um, they started on an IV. It was so odd, though, because you didn't want to give them monoclonal antibodies, which come in an IV, which is saying her lungs are fluid, but then you put her on an IV with this drug that I didn't know. I never, give informed, I never was given informed consent. So I'm with her in the emergency room, and that night they said she, they got a room for her. So, and I said, no, I have to go with her. The doctor already told you all, I have to be with her. So they put us in a room by ourselves, and um, the nurse came in and gave more medication, you know, pills, and and I, she said it was for the fever, and um, I'm, not, I'm, I'm unaware. I'm so trusting at this point because I'm scared. Um, that first, now my daughter, if you know anything about Danielle, Danielle sleeps straight through. She's such a good sleeper. That night, she had a little difficulty sleeping. So I said, okay, it was the hospital, you know, the hospital room. So I mm-hmm. laid in her bed a little bit whenever I got a chance with her. I laid in her bed and tell her it's okay. And she said, mommy, I'm scared. Mommy, I'm scared. And I said, no, honey, it's okay. You're going to get better. This is just five days. You know, that's, the, that's what they told us. That's why I stayed too, to say just five days. Um, next morning they came in and they, they took blood and I said, you know, do you have to do this all the time because she's really scared Daniel's scared of needles, playing her happy song, you know, you are my sunshine so that she would get distracted and and um, so we're here it's Saturday morning, we're locked in a room we can't get out um, they basically just come in just to give you lunch or or check on the meds, but nobody's interacting, no doctors. They just, just a foreign doctor came in in the morning, just say, oh, okay, okay, all right, and left again. Sunday morning when she came in again, I said, could I see another doctor? Could I see a specialist or something for my child? Because I don't know what's going on. And um, Daniel said having difficulty with oxygen, I believe, on the Saturday night where they were changing all the, uh, the cannulas, and they, first of all, I know now when you have pneumonia, you're not supposed to lay down. They forced Daniel to lay down. They said she has to lay down. Daniel cannot get up. He can't get up to go to the bathroom. So I would have to call if she has to get up. So I did not know that they were using high-dose oxygen on Daniel. So she had difficulties. Um, Monday morning, I asked for the specialist around 2 o'clock. Dr. Ramanu came in, Fazal Ramanu. He was the pulmonologist. And um, he came in with a solemn face and said to me, I need you to sit down. I'm like, okay. I sat down. And he said, well, I want to bring her into the ICU because, you know, in this room is just a small window we can't see. But in the ICU, we could observe her and we could, um, there's glass all day and we could see what's going on. So I wasn't suspicious of that because I didn't know what they were doing in the ICU. So I said, okay, she'll go into the ICU, she'll get better treatment. Uh, They will fix up quickly and we could go home. It's now Monday. Monday afternoon, they clothed us all up with all the gear and covered us all up and brought us into the ICU and Daniel was still talking, laughing, and she ate her meal. Um, But... They said now she has to take off her pajamas, which she loves all her pajamas, 
and she has to put on the hospital gown and she has to wear a diaper and Daniel does not like that. And they said she has to use a bedpan. So Daniel was crying, no, no, I don't want this. I want to use a toilet. I want to use a toilet. And the nurse keep on insisting that, no, she has to use a bedpan. And I'm like, why? No, she cannot get up. She cannot get up. So they were literally forcing Daniel to lay down. This is Tuesday morning now. Dr. Ramanu came in and said to me, oh, you know, we would consider putting her on the ventilator. And I'm like, no, you're not going to do that. Why would you do that? No. Now, I started to get sick in there, really Mm -hmm. sick, fever, chills, and everything. And I'm up in the night with her, up all day with her, because she wants me to sit next to her. She don't even want me to lay down on the sofa. They have a little mini sofa there. And she wants me to stay next to her, and I'm feeding her. I'm doing everything for my daughter while I'm there. Tuesday night was really bad for me. She was up all night. And finally, when she fell asleep in the morning, I asked the nurse, I said, is there any way I could just go home and shower? I'm eight minutes away and come back. So I waited till she fell asleep around 5.30. And um, he said yes. So I, I, I packed up. I kissed Danielle. And I went down to, for my husband to pick me up for me to come home and shower because there's no shower in the room. It's just a, a bathroom and a sink. And um, this is the last time I get to see Daniel alive because when I went home at 9 o'clock they called me and they said that how I cannot come back to the hospital unless I have a negative COVID test and I had no one to go to the hospital who would want to go and I called everybody I was even willing to pay a nurse we were calling everybody to see who would go so my husband at that time was sending my stuff while I was in the hospital. He would set up my food, my clothes, to Daniel and I. And when he said I couldn't go back to the hospital, I tried to send her iPad and they refused it. I tried to send balloons and they refused it. They said nothing could come in from the outside now. So they didn't allow me to talk to Daniel. At that point, I was so sick. And I'm thinking, okay, she's in good hands. They're going to take care of her. And every day they would call me and then tell me, oh, they think you need to vent her. And I'm like, no, you're not going to do that. No, you're not going to do that. And one night I asked them, could I just see her? And they said, oh, the, the iPad, the hospital iPad is not working. So that's the excuse, so I can't see her. But one of the nurses told me to say they had to restrain Danielle. Because I guess when Danielle woke up and she didn't see me there, she probably got off the bed, pulled everything out of her arms, and was screaming that she wants her mommy. And the nurse said they had to tie to the bed with restraints. So I know that that was, Danielle was just not doing well. Because if you don't have oxygen and now you're panicking and you have anxiety and they're filling your lungs up with severe, there's no way that you can really handle the pressure that's going on. So, and no matter what I did, it would not let me see her. So, it was Friday night. 
the doctor, my neighborhood doctor, also called and said, I want to put her on the ventilator. And would they think it's a good idea we need? And I said, no, 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 they're not doing that. So somehow they were able to let me see her Friday night on the iPad, on the hospital iPad, but she didn't speak to me. She just looked at the iPad picture while we were talking to her. Saturday morning, around 4 o'clock, my ex-husband was able to get to the hospital. He lives in Florida. And he was with her. And in the morning, they called again. And they're saying that she needs to go on the ventilator. And my ex-husband is saying, don't put her on it. Don't put her on it. And I'm like, he's telling me, the doctor's telling me she's going to die if she doesn't go on the ventilator. Now, I have no clue what's happening because I'm not really seeing my daughter. I'm not seeing her. I don't know what's going on. And I asked Dr. Ramanu, I say, if this was your child, if this was your child, would you do, would you put on the ventilator? And he said to me, yes, I would. He said, yes, I would. And I trusted and I said, okay, it's just going to be for a little bit because she can't breathe. It's just going to be for a little bit. So I agreed. I gave in on Saturday, a week and one day later. At this time now, it was Monday or Tuesday, I found out about ivermectin. Oh, we had ivermectin, but we didn't know the dosage to give her when she was home. But I found out that patients were able to come off the ventilator once they were given ivermectin. And I asked the doctor if he would give her ivermectin, and he said no. So I said, okay, I will go to court for my child to get ivermectin. And he didn't like that. So I hired Ralph Laringo, and they took my case, and we filed in in Mineola Supreme Court, Nassau County, and the judge, when she got the paperwork, this was the following Friday, they said to immediately dispense ivermectin to Daniel. Immediately administer, <clears throat> immediately administer ivermectin. I called on Friday. Um, my friend who's a pharmacist, he delivered, hand-delivered the ivermectin. The, the doctor's wife delivered the court order to the administrator that immediately administered it. And... Um, when I called all night, they didn't give it to her. It's in legal department. It's in legal department. Saturday morning, I called again. Why did Daniel get the ivermectin? Not as yet. And then I called a nurse, and that nurse said to me, um, the Daniel's nurse, uh, that doesn't work. So I'm there. She was Friday. She's supposed to have it. Didn't get it Friday. I have no idea if she got it on Saturday. I have no idea if she got it on Sunday. On Monday, I'm cleared. To go back into the hospital, I'm COVID-free. <clears throat> and I went in and I saw Daniel Lane face down, swollen. And they said they were proning her. And I said, why is she so swollen? Oh, it's the COVID. Everything is the COVID. Everything is the COVID. Why is she so swollen? Can't you give her something that she's not swollen to take away the fluid? <clears throat> And I stayed and I prayed with her and it didn't her wrong and Daniel was her chin was bruised. Like either she fell or her chin and her forehead was bruised, her skin was healing back. So I don't know what happened there. And um called me the next day or the same day I was a little bit confused that we need to talk. 
okay, um, the ivermectin is raising her liver enzymes. And since she started getting ivermectin, I mean, they're just watching you and they lie to you in your face. These are evil, cold-blooded murderers. They just watch you and they lie. And at that time, I knew about remdesivir now because my friend who's a nurse in England told me, what are they giving her? And they give Daniel 10 rounds of remdesivir. A little innocent body, 10 rounds of remdesivir. And he looked at me and he said, we have to stop the rem- we have to stop the ivermectin because look at her liver enzymes. It keeps going up and the ivermectin caused that. I said, you won't give her Tylenol. And the only thing that causes that is remdesivir. Remdesivir causes the, the liver enzymes to go up. And they looked at me and they did not say nothing. But they knew I was speaking the truth. Again, I had to agree to take her off the ivermectin because you at their mercy. They could throw me out of the hospital again. They could do whatever they wanted. I wouldn't get to be with my child. So... I allowed them to take her off of it. And I said, could you just give her a small dose? Then if you don't want to give her a high dose. And this went on and on. It was, they had to change the the tube in her her neck. She always had a fever. She had bacterial infection. She had regular infection. She had, and every time it was a fight, every time I go in there, I was just like, why is she still this way? Why is this happening? So finally they start giving her the, the lance, lan, uh, something to drain the fluids. So she started mm-hmm. coming back to down to normal size. And um, that same week that I was there to see Danielle, I would go in at 12 and leave at 6 because that's my visiting hours. They said to me that the right side of her heart is not working. I'm like, what are you talking about? My daughter is healthy. She don't have any heart problems. So I, I don't know what to say, Greg. At that point, you just like, let it just go over your head. What is important right now is getting Daniel better. Yep. And Absolutely, yeah. So the doctor said to me a couple of times when he came in the room, he would say, um, I have nightmares about your daughter. I have nightmares. Like, what do you say to doctor that's interesting that you ask him? yeah why uh, why would he have nightmares what was his conflict yeah. you know obviously he's know. been troubled I mean, the, yeah okay go ahead it's it, it just you don't know what to say when he say these things it's like how do you do i want to know what he's talking about no i just yeah. couldn't say anything i like please don't even talk next to my said thank you for helping my child thank you you know what he said don't thank me as yet so now when I put everything together, I clearly knew what he knew. He knew that he was going to murder Danielle. He knew that she was not going to see me again. He knew he was going to take my child away from me, and he chose to do it and watch me in my face and lie. These are evil people. So Daniel went on. Um, just fast forward a little bit. We're doing this every day. We're praying and everything. Um, the doctor came in the week before. This is She was in the hospital for 40 days. And I was wow. not getting anywhere with them. 40 days, yeah. Obviously, she was fighting because Daniel's a very healthy child. She's very healthy. So they told me, okay, in order to get her off the ventilator, we have to use a trach on her. We have to put a trach in. I'm like, oh, God, no, you're not going to cut my child. Just wean her off the ventilator, please. Wean her off. You don't have to cut her. 
So they had another nurse came and talked to me and convinced me the next day. For 24 hours, she's talking to me. This is the only way we have to. We can't leave her on the ventilator because then she'll get a, another infection and the lungs will be in trouble. So, okay. I spoke to the doctor again and he said yes. I said, okay, how soon we could do it? Well, they need to get a place and then they need to put a feeding tube in her because she's, she's not eating. So they have to put a feeding tube. I agree to that. I agree to them putting the trach in her now thinking my child is going to wake up. I'm going to see my child. Um, they're going to remove all the drugs. She was on every drug you could think about, fentanyl, propofol, uh, vitamins. Wait, wait, wait. Fentanyl. We're going to go through these individually here when we get a little chance. But uh, just give me a list now, and then we're going to go back over some of these drugs. I'm curious to look them up a little bit. Fentanyl? Yes, Daniel was on fentanyl. For what? Daniel was on propofol. Daniel was I don't, on I don't recognize that. There were 10 machines. Yeah, there were 10 huh. machines on her. Ten machines hooked up to her. Um, Vicomycin, all the worst kind of antibiotics you could think about. Everything. It was just poisoning her. They were literally poisoning my child to death. So, uh, when we agreed to the surgery and the day came for the surgery, the doctor said to me, well, I like to do the surgery when make sure that the patient have 50%, you know, oxygen, that it's not that, not that it he don't want us to be using over 50%, so they had to wait till the oxygen went down to 50%. So this was two weeks before Daniel passed. So the nurse, the respiratory nurse, who is the mother of one of the young ladies who worked with Daniel since she was 18 and loved Daniel. She dearly loved Daniel. I thought I was in good hands. Until the respiratory nurse, her mother, said to me after the surgery, well, some of the patients we think going to make it, don't make it, and some of the patients we think not going to make it, make it. I'm like, there we go. Well, what is this you're telling me? You know my daughter since she was 18 years old. Your daughter worked for my daughter. Why would you even say this to me in that cold face? So obviously they know because if you're a respiratory nurse, you know how much lung function that person has. Mm-hmm. So now you put a trach in them, knowing that they're not going to make it because it was for money. And Daniel never woke up from the trach. They took off the the the, the drug for the uh, par- paralytic drug. I forget the name of it. So it was P. Um, they said she would start moving, she would start being aware, but she was still on all the other drugs. Um, and two days later, they said she's not doing good. We have to put her back on the paralytic drug and the other drug. This went on and on. And um, the week before Daniel passed, Daniel was struggling. And I remember... Having taken a video of Danielle gasping, you know, she and I called in the respiratory. She's like going, her mouth is going up and down and open. And I called the respiratory nurse. I said, why is she like that? Why is she like that? Oh, we have to check the office. Oh, we have to do this. Oh, we have to clean this. But nothing. There's no positive. There's nothing positive from any of these nurses and doctors. There's no compassion. None of them give me any compassion to say, don't worry. Your daughter going to be fine. She's going to make it. The only person who ever showed any compassion there was the cleaning a man who worked in the hospital who would come in and clean her room. He was the only one who would come in and say, we're praying for her. She's going to make it. Not one of these nurses and doctors showed an inch of compassion. 
not one of them. This Saturday, we were there all night in the hospital, and the doctor came in, one of the young doctors. He said to me, well, her kidneys are working for now. What? Oh, mother, her kidneys. I said, can't you put her on dialysis? And the other doctor says she will need a lot of therapy if she gets out of this. So there they are. They know exactly what they're doing. They're making a choice not to save Daniel's life, but to murder her. So when he said the kidneys are working for now, I said, do you know remdesivir destroys the kidneys? Because now I know what, what, what they've been doing. Right. So do you know what remdesivir is? And he said, no. This was one of the young um, doctors who was on the night shift. So it was Monday. And um, the uh, oxygen went down to the 80s. And usually when it goes down to the 80s, the camera comes on with nurses and doctors on the other side, probably another floor, to check to make sure she's okay. And the camera didn't come on. Although it did come on, and um, it went off when Dr. Ramanu came in the room. And he was pumping the air, you know, that air bag that they put on the mouth. He was mm-hmm. using that. Yep. And, um, and they call him the maestro, the ventilator. That's his name, the maestro, the ventilator. Really? And he's moving his fingers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's moving his fingers up and down as if he's a maestro while he's looking at the readings on the machine. And I'm outside the room because when that happens, you have to leave the room because they all come in. And he's moving his hands like a maestro. And when he came out, he said the next few days going to be hard. And he didn't tell me why. Came in and I said, why is her urine bag wrong? Why is she not putting out enough urine? And he said, oh, no, it's just the kidneys. Don't worry about it. That took me for a fool. And I know in my heart, I'm just hoping and praying that my daughter going to come out of this. I'm not thinking that my daughter going to die. That never entered my mind. My daughter going to come out of this. She's in a very good hospital. People know us. Everybody in the neighborhood knows us. She's going to make it. And I stayed with Hawks. We went home like after 12. And I remember that night, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't, well, I can't sleep. But around 3 in the morning or something, my body just started convulsing, just shaking. And I couldn't stop. And it's 5 o'clock. They said to come in. It doesn't look good. And we came in with all, with all our faith that she's not, I don't want to hear what they have to say. We're not going to agree to anything that they're going to say because Daniel's going to walk out of there. Daniel's going to show them that you're going to walk out of there. I was already preparing for Daniel to come home and set up the house for therapy and not to have her going to an acute rehab facility. I was already preparing for all of that. And when we walk in, they're like, they're still pumping her with more meds. Daniel's unrecognizable at this point. She's swollen. And I said, well, can't you do, um, you know, use the machines, the defibrillator? They say, oh, the heart rate is going down, the blood pressure is going up. We might lose her. And I says, and all the machines is outside. They have everything outside the room and all the nurses and doctors outside and they're looking. And, and, I, and the doctor said to me, Dr. Iqbal said to me, oh, that's one in the movies. 
Mm-hmm. That's what he said to me. It's only in the movies. You know, where they put the electronic uh, paddles on you. Right. And he said, just let her, just let her go. Don't do anything. Just let her go. I said, no, I can't let her go. I said, do the CPR. Do the CPR on her. No, you can't let her go like that. So reluctantly, they came in to do the CPR. It was about nine something. And um, when they were pumping her chest, and then the doctor just shoot the uh, the injection for, I forgot the name, to wake the heart up. You know, that injection, the injection in the heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, I forgot the but name. That's okay. No, no, I understand. There's like a cardiac needle that uh, I've seen this uh, yeah. before. And they do have and the they paddles. Do. They do have, uh, there's the, the AEDs, the automatic uh, defibrillators, uh, are all over the place. Mm-hmm. So those yeah, things are available in most buildings now. So to say they wouldn't yeah, have one in a hospital makes no sense. No, no, no. He said we don't. We wouldn't use that because I've seen in the movies. That's, that's right. what he said. So, yeah, well, I, I know what he said. I, you know, I'm just I'm as shocked as you are. I'm I'm shocked about all this, but uh, it's shocking. It's shocking uh-huh. what, the, what the, the the answers I got, uh-huh. and that's why I want to hold them all accountable. Okay. Uh huh. So. When they start doing it one, two, three, and then they shoot her with the injection, and then they do it again one, two, three, and they shoot her with the injection. I must have done it like six times. And I looked in the corner of my eye, and I saw blood coming out from the tube. In her throat, the trach tube, and I said, why it has blood coming out there? And I said, that's because of the CPR. And I said, stop, stop, don't do it anymore, stop. At that point, it didn't. Was it helping her? I believe she had died the night before, and they were just artificially keeping her alive to make more money and to let me say bye to her. And then they pronounced her death. You know what's so scary about these stories? Uh, your story is this isn't the first time I've heard this. We had, uh, you know, Scott Sharon last week with uh, his daughter Grace, and the reason that this story needs to be told, and I'm uh, you an amazing amount of courage for telling it, is because we do have to hold these people accountable. Something is very wrong when this kind of thing can happen in a place that we thought was a place we could go for help, and it turns out that the worst place you can go these days is a hospital. Yes. And that's wrong. Because everything we believed about doctors and medical care that they were trying to help us has been turned on its head. Something has happened. When I was a kid and when you were a kid, something has happened. Now, I was just looking up uh, quickly as, um, as you're talking about pneumonia. Uh, and I've got something here. I, I read a bunch of different sites real quickly. And they're talking about uh, the, the, the treatments. You know, get rest, drink fluids. Drink, you know, coffee or tea. Take medication as directed. Use a humidifier. Gargle salt water. Talk to your healthcare provider. You know, and, and in other cases, antibiotics, which would be great for for a bacterial pneumonia, but not for viral pneumonia, because antibiotics don't work on viruses. Antivirals work mm-hmm. on viruses. You know, and we all know this stuff. I can look up this stuff right now. You know, and so uh, 
antivirals, antifungals, and this is from the website Very Well Health. But um, you know, the, the, I checked a couple of different websites, and the information is all the same. So yeah. they know, I know, yeah. and you know that they know how to treat pneumonia, and that's not what yeah. they did. No, correct. And now you learn that everybody had the same diagnosis. They all had double pneumonia, and they all were locked in a bed, what's, and they all were forced and restrained. Yeah, what's double? I, I, didn't, I didn't even know hospital beds had restraints. That's, that's something that's new to me, too. And I'll tell you my story in just a little bit. What's double pneumonia? I have no idea. I guess both lungs. I don't know. I, don't know, <laughs> I, a, I guess it's that's traumatic. A, uh, let's look it up. Let's look it up and see what we get. I do a lot of research on the show as we do the show. It's the beauty of having one show. Let's see what it says here. Double pneumonia. Of course, I've also learned how to spell pneumonia. That's an accomplishment itself. Double pneumonia. Uh, not making light of your situation, but, you know, sometimes it helps a little bit. Everything you should know about mm-hmm. double pneumonia. It says, what is double pneumonia? And this is from Healthline. Let's get the website to give you credit here. Double pneumonia is a lung infection uh, that affects both of your lungs. There you go. The infection inflames the, the air sacs in your lungs or the alveoli, which fill with fluid. Anyway, it makes it hard to breathe. So basically, pneumonia makes it hard. It's a lung infection. It's what pneumonia is, as near as I can gather from this. Most common causes are bacteria and viruses, makes sense, or fungus, okay? Well, fungus, penicillin, you know, those kind of things, antifungals. Mm -hmm. That's what you take for that. Uh, Antibacterials would be antibiotics. Uh, Antivirals would be things that take care of viruses, Uh, all the things we know about, the things you're talking about, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, my story is I go back to the beginning with this. I've been researching this since it first started, January of 2020. So I'm, I'm right there with you on this uh, as far as the information goes. So is our audience, by the way. They know exactly what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. So double pneumonia is just a fancy way of saying both lungs. It's still pneumonia. Mm-hmm. And the treatments are still the same. But something has happened. We'll get to holding these people accountable in a bit. But from your experience in medicine before and with doctors, what happened to our medical institutions. What happened to these people that they got into it? I think they, it's like politicians that become corrupt. They got into it for the right reasons. Mm-hmm. They really wanted to help people. But somewhere along the way, the system changed them. They changed, and they became monsters. There are monsters in our hospitals mm-hmm. with no conscience, yeah. no soul. And th- this is pure evil. This is, this is as evil as it gets because they knew exactly yeah. what they were doing. They lied to your face. They did it anyway. Mm-hmm. Knowing the outcome, you know, from the minute uh, your daughter was admitted to the hospital. Yep. That's evil. Yep. Oh, yeah. I forgot to tell you, the, the doctor huh? in the ER tell me, asked me if I pray. That's what she asked, if I pray. You know, so where does that come from? Panic. Where, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious about the comments because some of the most revealing things are the comments that, uh, yeah. that some of these people are saying. It's like they, they have a, whatever last shred of conscience they have left, whatever last shred uh-huh. of humanity is buried deep within them. Okay. There's still, there, there's still a, a real genuine person trying to get out, but it's been totally suppressed by, well, it's my job. I have to do it. Uh, this is what I'm told to do. I'm just following orders. That's what the Nazi said at the Nuremberg trials. So we're, we're just following yeah. orders. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it's the mm-hmm. same mentality, or they're following the dictates, or the, the or the other, the worst of the administrators who are doing this for the money. This is about money when it comes right down to it. And I'm curious about the Medicaid connection, because Medicaid, the Center for Medicaid, um, Medicare Systems, the CMS, the government organization that reimburses all these hospitals for everything that was given to your daughter, it's money. Well, the Medicaid uh, CMS paid 20% bonus on top of the hospital bill. 
So mm. Danielle had Medicaid, and she also had um, a Cigna PPO, so she had two very good insurance. And um, right. the hospital giving them 20% bonus. I heard they were giving them the money ahead of time, paying them ahead of time. So they had oh. to call in COVID patients. Yeah. So they're paid for treatments they hadn't given her yet? Uh, the hospital was granted money. I believe I got this information. Um, so they ha- if they don't have the COVID patient, they would have to pay the money back in 2020. So <sighs> CMS was literally bribing, bribing the hospitals to kill people then. Right. And then they would take the money away. They take the money away if they did. That's extortion. So they're bribing ahead of time and they're extorting after the fact. Yeah. So they had to get in COVID patients. This is a medical holocaust. I'm I'm right with you there. There's no excuse for this. You know, I've I've heard from Dr. Zelenko when he was alive. uh, And uh, he was already sick to begin with. He already had a a lung replacement. Or I think he had uh, lost a lung and he already had cancer and and heart disease and everything else. And he still crusaded on for a while. So I'll I'll Mm -hmm. send you those shows. They're pretty amazing. So you know him? Okay. There's there's a split in our country. Okay, great. There's a split. Um, Scott Sheriff sends his regards too. He's he's probably listening in as well. Um, okay. He was with uh, like I say he was on last week with his daughter Grace. The um, mm-hmm. so what what have you learned from this? What do you want to do? And we, we I know the top of the hour is coming up, but I've got another hour. If you want to stick around for a while, I mean you're you're welcome to stay as long as you want. What do you want? Tell me. Well, tell me anything. So what 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 happens next? What uh, or what happened next? Or what do you want to do? What did you learn I, about? I want to. I want this to be exposed. I want okay. each one of these doctors and nurses to be held accountable and the hospital administration because mm-hmm. Northwell Health is buying up all the hospitals in New York now. Who is? I left New the, York. Yeah. Who's buying? Northwell Health, the hospital that murdered my daughter and so many others, are buying up all the smaller hospitals and they're taking Isn't over that New York. Yeah. Well, they made a lot of money. This was a little hospital in Glen Cole. Now it's like. It's so fancy that there's so much remodeling when even when we were there. I mean, it's like... How about that? Yeah, yeah mm. just follow the money. I think we just have to follow the money and expose these doctors and nurses mm-hmm. and administrators and, and, and put them on the newspaper. And I have been very vocal. I have wrote to all my local newspapers. They can't post my story. They, will, they're not, they send their sympathies, but they said we would not be able to publish a story. Why not? So... Why can't they publish Conflict? it? I guess uh, who, get money. Who, all right, so who's paying the newspapers then? Who's paying the, the magazines? Who's paying the websites? That's a really interesting point. Yeah, I have reached out to the senators in New York. They said there that was, was one of the funds got back to me. Yeah, he said he will yeah. uh, look into it. Never did. Um, of course. The rest of them That's, never even responded. Yeah. yeah. How about Senator Johnson? Uh, the reason I mentioned his name, he's held two hearings. Um, on, yeah, on COVID. And he's not your senator, but it doesn't matter. He's still on the issue. Anything? Yeah, him. Um, I have not reached out to him. I did reach out to Senator Bob Hall and the office did call me. But they okay. had texted us. And, you know, I just think we all need to, to make this public. I mean, fight however we can. There's enough money mm-hmm. in this country to, to fight this cause. And I... I really greatly admire Scott Sheriff for everything he's doing. He's getting it out. He, because of him, I could actually go out and speak because it's very hard. But I look at him and everything he's doing, and I say I have to do it too. You know, I wish if I could put up as many billboards as he does. He gets 
you know, he gets gets it going. But as a mom, you know, you, you fall into a very dark hole when you realize how bad this is and you have to mm-hmm. crawl back out every time. What's well, a betrayal? And, and get this strength. You know, betrayal. this is betrayal. This is, this yes. is, you know, this is the worst of humanity. I mean, betrayal is like the lowest form of humanity. To know you're doing wrong, do it anyway, and keep doing it to other people. I mean, it doesn't get worse than this. No, 100%. So with all the moms and dads and and, and husbands and wives who lost their loved ones in the same way, I I stand up and I speak up because this needs to be heard. It doesn't matter if it was a child or a husband or a mom. We were all betrayed. They cold-bloodedly killed our loved ones and watched us in our face and tell us it was COVID. Everybody I know who had COVID and stayed home, they are alive. And the ones who went to the hospital are dead. So how does COVID really kill? It doesn't, in most cases, unless you already no. have what they call comorbidities. In other words, and I got Josie in the line. I'll bring her on just a second here. Uh, I was kind of hoping she'd call. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, everybody was exposed to it. We had Dr. Peter McCullough on a couple of weeks ago uh, mm-hmm. saying that 94% of Americans have had COVID. Well, if 94% of Americans have had COVID, it means that 94% of Americans are immune to COVID. And I don't see 94% of Americans that have died. So there you go. We all would have been dead, right? We all would have been dead. We all would be. Yeah. So it just doesn't make sense. And everybody's been exposed to COVID. Everybody. You know, I looked, uh, in fact, I had it. uh, I didn't take one of those PCR tests because I don't think they're accurate. I don't think they do anything, no, not. but uh, it went through our area here. I'm in, in Milton, Florida, near near Pensacola. I'm in the Gulf Coast. And December 2019, January 2020, COVID ripped through this area. We all got it. And then we all got over it. And then we heard about what it was. Mm-hmm. We're like, Oh, yeah, I guess I had that already. So we became skeptical immediately. Let me bring Josie. I want to introduce you to someone special, too. Josie does our Latino report. She's from Nicaragua. Uh, she has a, a store across from a hospital, a uniform store, and she knows everything about this too so Jesse, you're on the line with rebecca charles welcome hey good morning rebecca i didn't hear the beginning Mm -hmm. of your story but uh, i heard the end right now and um first of all i am so sorry for the murder that they uh did against your daughter's life um Dr. David martin has a website where you can fill the paperwork and they'll help you out so you can sue these criminals. These criminals are, they have to pay. They have to pay, and the nurses too. The nurses are keeping it a secret. A lot of the nurses are getting anywhere from 1200 to 1500 to keep hush on each paycheck. Some of the physician assistant doctors are getting 2500 or more each payday too to go along with these criminal activities that they have going at the hospitals. It is horrible horrible what they're doing to humans it is dangerous to go to a hospital you were just saying both of you a few minutes ago you're supposed to go to the hospital because you trust and you put your life in their hands literally and you know what they're taking your life because a lot of these doctors got money ahead of time they got paid ahead of time billions of dollars all these hospitals to murder so many people they murdered one of our friends, just exactly like you were describing your little girl, your daughter. Uh, our friend was supposed to get out of the hospital uh, within two days, and before you know it, he was in the ventilator. They started giving him yeah. rendezvous, rendezvous, 
uh, and the nurse told me all about it, all of it, everything that happened. She was a young nurse student, and I think she kind of regretted after she left my store, after she spilled all the beans. Um, I'm not getting involved because the wife of this uh, uh, man, there was murder at this hospital. She don't want to do anything about it. The son doesn't want to do anything. They have uh, three kids, and they all think the hospital did what they needed to do. And I said, no, they murdered your father. They murdered your husband. But these people are not doing anything about it. I remember telling this before Jesse, you were telling us about this yes. before he passed on. You knew this was going to happen. You, we yes. all talked about this for yes. about three or four weeks that we knew. And, they, and the yeah. family absolutely refused to do anything. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. And they blew up his lungs. Yeah, they blew up his lungs with the uh, they blow up his lungs with the ventilators, and before you know, yep. he's having a heart attack. And then they say, oh, he might be if he survives, he's gonna be in a, uh, connected to the machine to clean his blood because of his kidney shut down and all that. Yeah, they did yep. it all. They did it all. And yes. the nurse, let me it, tell you, the nurse that that was taking care of him, she says, I went home. She told me this is what she said. She says, I went home. And he was going to be released within two days. And when I came back from my shift the next morning, she goes, get to the ventilator. And I was freaking out. She goes, why? Why is he connected to? And they started telling her what happened. What happened is they put a patient next to him in his room, fully contaminated with COVID. And he was well. He was ready to go home. And this is what they did. The hospital, on purpose, they put a sick, sick person next to him and this young man he he panicked he went in a panic attack and instead of putting him to sleep or do something to calm him down they put him in the stinking ventilator that's what they did that's exactly what they did so yeah, they I got the, the same way they murdered the, your daughter hold on hold on Josie I have Josie hold on a second go ahead Rebecca yeah I, I I got the autopsy of my daughter and her lungs was gone two weeks before she died so by them doing the tracheotomy surgery, they knew she didn't have her lungs. They knew it was gone. So that nurse, that respiratory nurse telling me that, you know, the ones who we think are going to make it don't and the ones who we think not going to make it make it is because she knew very well. She knew that my daughter's lungs was gone. So they still went ahead and proceed with the surgery. Her lungs was blown out. And you, and you know, and you know one of the, one of the RNs from the ER told me from one of the local hospitals, he says, if you're big and facially black people, he said, uh, you're not going to make it out. Like, they know. They know they're going to kill them. This is kind of like his words that he was telling me. Yeah, it's sad. This is sad yeah. what these criminals are doing and getting away. And, and it, just, it just aggravates me so bad. And, you know, one of the local hospitals, they killed uh, uh, a woman after she had her baby. Her doctor, um, I told her, give her, give her ivermectin hydroxychloroquine. And she said, no, we have to follow protocols from the CDC. I'm sorry, we cannot do it. I said, but that's what took care of my COVID, I said. My COVID was gone in five days with hydroxychloroquine and acetromycin. And you know what? The, the woman had her baby and she died. And this uh, this so-called doctor, because she's not a doctor, uh, she's pregnant herself now. So we'll see what happened with her. And I I don't wish any bad things on her, but she killed this woman. That's this is what they were yeah. doing in this hospital. They were killing innocent people. 
and I know it. Some of the nurses from some of the hospitals, they come to my store hall and pray with me and my husband, and they tell us all about it. And this is a crime against innocent people, what they're doing to this, uh, to this humanity. But I am oh, so sorry. Yeah, yeah, the hospitals wouldn't make Rebecca? money if people stopped going to the hospitals. You know, I mean, we really have to hurt them, you know, with their money. We have to try to avoid not going into the hospitals. We have to let people know. We have to really be vocal. You know, I would love for these doctors' pictures to be all over the every supermarket. You know, legally, I don't know if I could do that, but put each one of their pictures. You can set a website. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can check. You can check the laws. Uh, you know, uh, in other words, if what you're saying is true, then you can do it. In other words, the the thing you might run into is libel, slander, or some or false accusations or things like that. But what if you're saying is true, and I believe it is, then uh, you could start a website. The here's what for both of you, I got the same question. It seems somewhere, and just uh, Rebecca, just to tell you a bit of my story, uh, I had open heart surgery about six years ago. And they had to repair a, a mitral valve, which worked out really well. And then they almost killed me three weeks mm-hmm. later with blood thinners. And uh, I was suffocating. Oh, God. And, uh, and they, had drained, they drained four and a half liters of fluid out of my chest. And, but I oh, yelled at them to do it, you know, because they were only going to do 1,500 at a time. So the first day they did 1,500. Second day they did another 1,500 milliliters. And uh, I said, well, we have to come back a third day. I said, I'm not coming back a third day. You're going to take this out so I can breathe. And so they took another 1,500 cc. So I had four and a half liters of fluid drained from my uh, uh, system. And then they said, okay, well, we've got to start you on blood thinners again. I'm like, like hell. <laughs> no, you're not. So you just killed me. You almost killed me with blood thinners. I would have been dead within a day or two. Uh, and I never had the ventilator. Oh I didn't have that problem because I made sure to drain out the fluid. But there, but uh, my lungs reinflated properly and I was fine. The point is that this pre-COVID, this is back in 2016. And so I just, you know, thank God that I got my heart fixed before COVID because I don't yeah. think I'd be here. If they did the, the surgery then on the table, because I was on a ventilator for four hours because literally they stop, they stop your heart uh, and they stop your lungs. Mm-hmm. They stop everything to do the surgery. And then they, you know, jumpstart you again. And I woke up with these, you know, tubes down my throat, which as soon as I'm semi-conscious trying to yank them out, they had to stop me. They said, you're not breathing yet. I said, then why am I awake? <laughs> you know, and I said, yes, oh, I am. Oh, yeah. And I'm still groggy. I'm still like, you know, half under from the, the amazing amount of uh, – uh, stuff they had to put me under. So they took the, the tubes out, and, and of course, it just, you know, I had a, uh, a rather rapid recovery um, because I got up and walked around the day I had surgery. I was up that afternoon walking around. And so this idea of lying down because you have pneumonia, the one thing they told me is the more active you are physically, you know, you don't hurt yourself, but if you can do it, do it. Because the more physical exercise, the greater the circulation, the faster the recovery. So them telling your daughter to lie down with pneumonia makes no sense. In fact, most yeah, of this makes no everything sense. Is- so, so I understand. Everything that did make no sense. Yeah, and and here's the thing too. And then they convince you that you don't know what you're talking about because you're not a doctor. Well, I don't care. You know, we all have common sense. We all have judgment, and we can all read the internet. You know, we know so much more than uh, people knew 50 years ago because we have access to the same information they do. You can read the physician's desk reference on individual drugs. I did that for Ritalin reading the ad, adverse effects of Ritalin on the show one day and Adderall and some of the other drugs. So you can do that. But here's the, here's the question for both of you. The CDC and the CMS, the Center for Disease Control, under Dr. Fascist, as we call him around here, actually we call him the genocidal, psychopathic, narcissistic, avaricious, oh, yeah. pathologically lying vaccine drug pusher. That's what we call him. Mm-hmm. Um, and mm-hmm. I sort of joke about that with Josie, but the truth is that's who he is. He is evil. He is everybody as evil as any Nazi that ever lived. Now the CDC plus... The CMS, the Center for Medicare, 
services. These are the people that pay out the money. So my question is, is this all tax? I don't know if you've traced this or not, but the money is the key to all this because that's what it really comes down to. It comes to the administrators telling the doctors what to do and the nurses what to do to keep their jobs, which they do because they don't want to lose their jobs. I mean, heaven forbid they should lose their job and actually do something right. You know, but, the, but there's, here's the problem. Something happened in medicine. Something happened between when I had my surgery, which actually went really well. I mean, I'm in the gym and bike riding and all kinds of things now at the age of 63. Uh, but something happened between when I went into my surgery in 2016 and when COVID came in 2019. So over those three years, something changed. And I'm not sure what it was. But uh, Re- Rebecca, do you have any insights between the, the, the CDC inventing basically it's government medicine. It's medicine by government protocol. It used to be medicine by doctor's practice. So we lost the ability of doctors to practice medicine, and it all became government protocol. And then the money came in from the Center for Medicare Services, which reimbursed everything according to what they decided, according to, again, the government protocols. So have you looked into this? Do you, do you, you know, does it, is this something that's going to affect you? Because I'm leading up to we need to write some corrective legislation on this. That's ultimately where I'm yeah, going. Well, Go ahead. So what I've seen was when my daughter was much younger, I had a great doctor, Dr. Esther, and um, the laws have changed, I believe it was probably 18 or 19 years ago, where the doctors could no longer be a doctor. An insurance company now is only reimbursing on a time limit. So okay. my doctor would spend time with me and talk with me. So I believe the insurance, the, the drug companies and the insurance companies came in and, and took away the doctor's rights from being a doctor and having a patient-doctor relationship and put it on a timer. And that was the beginning of the fall of, of having a doctor, I believe. Because yeah. since then, if you follow the, the patterns of when COVID was established, the, all these testings and everything, this didn't happen in 2020. They were well prepared years in advance for all of this. It's just follow the Rockefeller patterns, follow who owns, you know, all these patterns. It goes back to the, you know, early 2017, 2013. That's what we've been looking into. So it's full blown now. Yeah, they must have been. Uh, I think Josie's got this, some of this information too. That they already had the the PCR tests you know, before anybody had heard the word COVID. Like 2018, 2019, they were passing out these tests, <laughs> which don't test for COVID. They they they're they're a viral no. something or other. I forgot what they do exactly, but uh, yeah, they, they're they not designed. Yeah, the German inventor who came up with the PCR test. Yeah, this is for some kind of uh, survey or whatever, but it's not. It's not a COVID test. Uh, yeah, yeah even and he it, suddenly he died in 2019 when he that? said that this is not to be used, you know, because you could amplify the PCR test and get anything positive you want. And he mm-hmm. said this is not to be used. And I think he knew Fauci and he died in 2019. Mm. So did the, uh, the person in China that, that sent out the alert saying that, you know, there's a new virus out there. You got to watch out for it. You know, they were never seen again. So they'll, they'll, mm-hmm. kill, or they'll kill the messenger, literally. Um, so, uh, big farmer. yeah, well, we have a couple of bills, um, just, to, just quickly, cause I wanted to talk more about, um, about you and Danielle, what we're going to do about this. Cause you, you're really well versed in this, you know, about the whole, the whole globalist world health organization. I have two bills, one on vaccine product liability, which I want to put on big pharma. Uh, and the second one, it, it mm-hmm. gets rid of the censorship from big tech. Cause another big problem. And this came out in the hearing in the house I th- yesterday, or the day before that Twitter and all mm-hmm. these other folks have completely suppressed. Me, you know, yep. my show has been suppressed since I came out March 2nd uh, and said that uh, that COVID is a virus. That's real. But the government response is a total hoax. You don't you don't create mm-hmm. a vaccine, which takes 15 years to uh, develop for, for a virus that's already here. 
you know, we have early treatments. Right. And you know about the, you know about ivermectin. You knew, you probably knew about hydroxychloroquine, yeah. I'm sure. You knew exactly all these different things. And yet these hospitals, they knew it too. I know they knew it too. And yet they twisted into these monsters who would just follow orders. That's a change. So now how do we hold them accountable? That's the real question. You know, it's scary. I mean, I'm a Christian, and the Bible says in the last days, for the love of money, men, hearts will grow cold. And I have to say, we are living in these days now. Their hearts are cold because they love money so much. I mean, the CEO of Pfizer knows that they're killing people with his stuff, and yet he could walk around at the WHO, you know, and the WEF, the World Economic Forum, and, and don't even have compassion or even care or even say, I'm going to quit my job. I made enough money on this. Let me just disappear somewhere. Mm-hmm. No, they love money. They love money and they love power. Yeah. For those and, who don't know the quote, it's, it's not, yeah, money's not the root of all evil. It's the love of money that is the root of all mm-hmm. evil. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, and you know what's interesting about the... the can I, can the, I say yeah, something go ahead, about that? Sure. Yeah, go ahead. Um, yes. Money, uh, it's a lot for a lot of people like these nurses and criminal doctors. But the people behind all these killings, it's like a game to them because Bill Gates doesn't need any money. George Soros doesn't need any money. China doesn't need any money. The Biden, the Clinton. This is a game. This is a game that they play in. I don't know if you guys ever seen the movie Trading Places years ago before I was a Christian myself. And uh, Eddie Murphy and uh, this other rich guy, they trade their identities. And these two old men were betting only a dollar to destroy this rich man's life with this bomb in the street. Uh-huh. This is what's happening in this country and all over the world. They're, they're, they're playing a game with our lives. And this is my opinion. This is exactly what these people are doing because they don't need money. Bill Gates doesn't need money, and he's behind this whole thing. His father was behind the Spanish flu. He was in the center of, of it all, and now his son is in the middle of this one. That's it. Yeah, you follow the history of Bill Gates' family, yes? Hmm. They're all psychopaths. They're all psychopaths because they want to bring the world population down to, what, 500 million? So they, they, they're working on it. Yeah, but we know about it now. We can resist. Uh, I resist through legislation. Um, you know, there should be a lawsuit. There should be uh, massive lawsuits. Actually, uh, I don't know if you've worked with Children's Health Defense at all. Um, we've had yeah, all kinds yeah. of folks here. Okay, well, tell me, do they have a, because I know they have a lawsuit that I'm involved with uh, that I have to find out more about, actually, uh, going after big tech. So do you have any success with them? No, the attorneys who are working to file against Gilead um, they're also working with Children Health Defense. Um, okay, good. I had the pleasure of meeting Stan Graham, one of the attorneys who's working with David Martin, to mm-hmm. go after the um, local level, local sheriff, which my husband uh, put them in touch with some attorneys in New York and the local sheriff in New York. So we're hoping something will come out of it because, say, the, all the AGs are all, they're all corrupted. They've all been... <laughs> We don't have okay. people anymore to fight real crimes. We have to go to the local level. Yeah, they're all Soros DAs. So, so what, what kind of crimes, yeah. how would the sheriff be involved and how would that work as, as far as, as criminal uh, action? What, what crimes are you talking about? What are you going after him for? 
Because this might help I, I other people. I don't know exactly. Yeah, but David Martin, okay. his 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 idea was to go at the local level because they are elected, and he says they have the power. The sheriff has the power to arrest. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I think they're working on getting many states, getting sheriffs from many states together, and empower them with the information and the knowledge what they could do and they can't do. So this, well, see, this is, is interesting. I mean, we have to do anything. Yeah. Oh no, yeah, no, I agree with you. In fact, I want to, I want to go after, I want to change the laws, and the laws I want to look at are, are the CDC. First of all, CDC is not a, a regulatory agency. Um, they no. are, uh, I, don't, I don't know what they are, but they're they're an advisory board. The only authority they know that they have is actually at the border when somebody's trying to come into the country with symptoms of a of a of a dangerous communicable disease. That's it. That's the only place they have any <laughs> any kind of authority at all. But they're not a regulatory agency. They're, they're, do, you know, do you know where they get their, their authority to do anything? I don't know, Rebecca, I don't know if you've heard this. Uh, uh, Commerce I'm not clause. sure. Yeah, Commerce Department. <laughs> they get their authority from the Commerce oh, Clause. Oh, my gosh. The business, yeah, look it up. That's, that's they say. Well, our authority for the CDC comes from the Commerce Clause. Well, that's insane. That's the business. That's the regulating interstate businesses. Uh, and how about CMS? That should now, make mm-hmm. Big pardon? That should make the news. That should it make should. the news, right? Well, it's yeah. fine. I, we talk about it. <laughs> but like I say, I, I have the same problem that everybody else does who's trying to broadcast the truth. The censorship on me is so bad, you know, that I, I used to, and when my show, my first show first started, first couple of years, you know, it wasn't that good. It was a couple of hours, you know, now we're three hours. I was learning. I was learning how to do action radio. I was trying and trial and error. And I had thousands of, of views. And when they used to put the views on, how many views you get? I'd have like 8,000 views per show. And this is back when we were local and weren't that well known. Now we're international. We're broadcasting to anywhere up to 50 countries could be listening uh, to this podcast. I think a lot mm-hmm. of people will. Um, but that's good. But still, that's despite the censorship. <laughs> you know, we're still, we're still breaking through. So I'm, I'm hoping that Joe Rogan calls me up and says, hey, Greg, can, we, can you tell me about your legislation? Um, but I want to work with you after we have a chance to talk off the air a little bit about of how are we going to reform uh, the Center for Medicare Services and how we're going to severely limit or abolish the CDC. Because they're obviously not doing any good. These people are dangerous, and and it's almost like and a question for Josie too. Are we in, you know, uh, I guess tyrannical national healthcare uh, without our consent? Because that's what it seems to me. This is national healthcare. This is government healthcare. What the, the left has always wanted that they could never get through Congress on a vote. So they just did it by they created a pandemic and then created a disease and then created all these protocols and then tied all the money to perpetuating it. What do you think? Either 100%. Okay. 100%, but I think it goes way back, way back, further back than that. I think mm-hmm. they want, <laughs> I hate to even say what I want to say online, because we've been, you know, we went down that rabbit hole. I mean, these I don't are mind. very destructive people. Very as long destructive as you don't, people. Yeah, as long mm-hmm. as you don't threaten public officials or give out their address or, or, or commit other libelous, slanderous things, you can say anything you want. If it's the truth, it's the truth. It's up to you. If it's too much, I'll issue a disclaimer. Yeah, I think I think that we are in a time like never before. I think change the CDC or change the Medicaid system. I think parents and families have to be on the board who who lost their loved ones. We need to have committees on board, not just these people that just make laws like that. You know. Um, but with the evil that's abounding here in the world, it's not just in America, it's all over the world. They are out to destroy lives and control us. If you follow the World Economic Forum, they call themselves the elite. 
I mean, now they actually call themselves the elite. They never really used to call themselves the elite. So they think that we have to abide by, and they're unelected people, and we have to abide by their rules and bring mm-hmm. in the new world order where we will all be servants to them. So it's, it's, it's a dark road to go down, but these are evil people. They are evil people, but you, have to, you combat evil people by fighting them and with force. And the force that, uh, you know, being a peaceful person that I am, the force that I want to bring about is legislative because, you know, violence doesn't work. You know, all these people that are waiting for a civil war, it's not going to happen. If it does, it's not going to solve anything. The last civil war didn't no. solve a whole lot. Uh, and a lot of people, you know, you know, hundreds of thousands of people were killed. So what we need to do is change the laws and the laws. See, we can't change the politicians because, you know, if you trade in one corrupt politician, you're going to get another corrupt politician. So that's not the answer. I believe changing the laws is the answer because that gives us the opportunity yeah. to fight them in court. You know, you look at remember big tobacco when when uh, when they said that mm-hmm. uh, cigarettes weren't dangerous and uh, they didn't cause lung cancer or heart or heart disease, which we all knew was wrong. We all knew that, you know, for decades. We knew that. We knew that, uh, at least I found out, that big tobacco uh, supplied uh, our armed forces, you know, our, our soldiers in World War II in the Pacific and Europe with cigarettes. And you see every movie about mm-hmm. World War II, you see them smoke, here, you're dying, here, have a cigarette. You know, they did that to, for, so yeah. that they wouldn't lose the habit. So the soldiers would come back and keep smoking. That's why they did it. Because it was terrible for them. But we got through that. We got, we got them liability. See, that's the key is liability. Now, the government gives themselves immunity. And they've given immunity to Big Pharma. So what we have to do is change that. We have to change that immunity so the government people are immune, are, are not immune from their actions. And corporations well, especially how, aren't immune from their actions. Go ahead. Yeah, well, how did the CARES Act give the hospital and doctors immunity? Who wrote that? Declaration of Emergency. The, 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 the PREP Act and the Declaration of Emergency. Allegedly, but I'm not sure. Because if, if there, are, there are crimes that go above this, unless they're uh, immune from... Uh, criminally negligent homicide, manslaughter, or outright murder, which I don't think any acts can make you exempt from that. See, I don't know. Now, we're going to get uh, Jeff Childers on the show here uh, in a little bit, hopefully. I'm working with his office trying to get him scheduled. That would be a question for him. He's a lawyer. So, uh, okay. you know, yeah. So keep listening. <laughs> <laughs> you know, check we need when lawyers you know, like Aaron Brockovich. Yeah. Well, where is Aaron Brockovich? Are you in contact yeah. with her? Yes. No, no, but we need no. lawyers like that because it seems like the biggest law firms, everyone I call, they all don't want to take the case. They don't want to take the case. And what that's are they telling you? To me. Yeah, what are they, they telling say, you? They no, say, um, no, we can't take this case. Um, a lawyer will call you, then the, the, the staff calls and say, no, we're sorry, we can't take the case. Huh. And I'm in New York, and, and you know, we right. have the biggest law firms. I mean, they love money, right? Yeah. They will go after anything, and this is manslaughter, this is malpractice, this is everything they, everything that the lawyer would want. And you don't have to so, swear to lawyers. So let's talk about that, because I think you're on a very valid point. Um, where, where, so in other words, the only reason a lawyer wouldn't take a case that would give them millions of dollars is that they're making more millions somewhere else. Yeah. So here's the question, and I've never asked this one. Is the Center for Medicare Services also paying off law firms to not defend people? Or are they being intimidated and are, they, are the bar associations? See, with the doctors, we know from Dr. Jim Thorpe and some of the other folks around here, but Jim is particularly, uh, he's a baby doc. He's the one that does uh, high-risk pregnancies and things like that. Um, he told me that if you go against certain things that uh, the medical board doesn't want, they pull your license. 
See, so, the, so some doctors are being held, the good doctors are being held uh, hostage to their license so they can keep practicing medicine, so they will do what they can. But I know of cases where ivermectin was smuggled into hospitals. So it's been on the news. So people have taken some pretty outrageous uh, means to do things. But what about the lawyers? The lawyers are an interesting question. Are, are the bar associations restricting those law firms? So be, Josie, this would be a good investigation for us. Do you know a good lawyer who would tell us the truth? I can ask Childers. Not really. Hmm. <laughs> but, but what I was going to say, um, mm-hmm. I was kind of like doing my hair here to go to work. <laughs> uh, what I was going to say is we are in World War III, and the American people in the world re- doesn't realize that we don't have to use weapons to start killing people like normal words. It, this is just they're killing us at the hospitals, and they're killing us with the vaccine. And this is what's going on. This is a warfare going on, and especially in America, because the bad vaccines, they send them to Florida and Texas, the worst, I heard one of the doctors was saying. Let's, so, let's get that on your report. I, let's let's talk about that Tuesday. I wanted to ask, how old was yeah. your daughter, ma'am? Oh, she was 28, just turned 28 when she went to the hospital. Oh, wow. Healthy 28-year-old. Yeah. I know. I heard you saying that. Yeah. Yeah. She must have been telling all of them. Who's going to live and who's going to die. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. what they did. Yeah. But I want to continue do. listening right now, okay? Okay. Thanks, Josie. Appreciate it. I'm getting ready. All right. God yeah. bless you guys. Uh, and, uh yeah. Uh, can I can I do a small little prayer for you right now, if you don't mind? Thank you. I don't mind. No, yes, thank you. <clears throat> Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we just love you and thank you, Father, for this day. And Lord, Father, I know the judgment time is coming from many of these murders, Father. I just pray for uh, this family, Lord, Father, that you will uh, bless them and you will ease their hearts and their mind because you said we have to renew our minds. Uh, with Jesus, and uh, he's the only uh, healer. And I just pray for her to surround herself with Christian people that love Jesus. And, Lord, Father, I just pray for many, many people listening today that that they have lost loved ones, Father, that you're going to be the comfort in their lives. We just love you, and thank you, Father, for what you do on the cross for us. We just love you. Amen. God bless you, ma'am. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Josie. Bless you, too. Bye-bye. I know. Bye. Yeah. So what I think we can do is we need to talk off the air and come up with a strategy here and take a look at the laws and yeah. things. And you can tell me what you want to do, how you want to proceed from here. But uh, my specialty uh, is creating citizen legislation. So we are the world's only, as far as I know, radio show that actually writes bills that have, you know, if they were passed, they're, they're ready for Congress. They're ready for the state legislatures. They're ready for local governments. That if that's a path you want to take, uh, I'm more than willing to help out because I want to, I'm probably going to do it myself anyway, is to look into yeah, no, the I, authorized. Go ahead. Go ahead. Tell me. That's, that's very good. No, I would definitely support that. Yeah. Okay. Because I think that we supposed to have freedom of speech, but we really don't have freedom of speech. I mean, there's freedom of speech when it's everything else, every sick, sinister thing you could think about is freedom for that. But mm-hmm. for posting a story on a local newspaper, you don't have the freedom to even tell your story. That's, that should change because if all of us who lost loved ones were able to have newspapers like Epic Times post their stories, mm-hmm. this would stop. Have but you been in Epic Times? Was yeah. able to do it? No, have I they have covered not. your story? 
Interesting. Okay. No, not yet. No. They have mm. covered several stories. Is there an organization, have you and Scott and maybe some other folks, you know, come together who have lost family members? Is there an organization that you kind of like an umbrella uh, group we all come under? Uh, there's a former feds group. Um, there's protocol kills. Um, but it's not big enough because you need to be out there in the, in the sunlight. You need to be on the newspapers. You need to be on the TV shows. Yep. I mean, I don't think one television show, even Fox, even covered one of these murders. It's a shame, and that's where the law has to change. That's where we have mm-hmm. to get freedom to speak and for the newspapers and television shows to carry our stories. This is, this is, this is such incredible stories. Mm-hmm. No, how, absolutely. How could it be silent? Yeah. Well, I'll send this to, I'm going to send this show to some doctor friends of mine, Dr. Judy Mikovits and Brian Artis and some other folks. Um, and I'll do the same with, with Scott's show. Um, Scott has a great website. Do you have a website in the works? Do you, uh, I, uh, I started other... to, yeah. Okay. I started to build on your website. It just, it was very hard to do. Um, of course. But I continue working. It's just very hard to post the pictures and, and write the story and, you know, but mm-hmm. it's in the pro, it's in the process. My sweet Danielle. There you go. It's in the well, as soon as it's ready, let me know, and I'll, I'll share it. And I've invited you to a couple of our, our local groups here um, to no, help out. You. And Oh, no problem. This is, listen, I, you're, you're in an entire community of people that, that understand that we've been fighting this, you know, because, because you know, you, we can't live in a country where the doctors are beholden to government and beholden to money. It's their allegiance. That goes against every medical, everything that we've ever heard of. That's insane. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't live in a society like that. Um, it's interesting having both of you on because you're from Trinidad and Josie's from uh, Nicaragua. So uh, it's uh, made for, you know, it's, it's, like I said, it's, I'm from Canada. So all of us are immigrants. <laughs> it's quite interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, we came here for freedom. We did. <laughs> and now we, yeah, look yeah, what happened. See, we don't have yeah. freedom. <laughs> yeah, well, we're, we, we're going to have it again. Um, I think uh, there's a lot of things that I can do. Um, and as this show grows and as it goes, you know, you're welcome anytime. You know, you don't even have to, uh, you. you know, ask me. You can just call in. I've got your, your number here, so feel free. I'll, I'll, know, I'll know it's you. Um, but any advice, any suggestions, anything you want to work on, let me know. And we'll talk off the air. I'll get you back on the air. You can come back. You can come back once a month. You can come back every couple of weeks. You can come back whatever or whenever you feel, you know, something's changed or you have some new news or you just want to talk just to get the story out. Thank you. You're always welcome. Yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, there's lots of people who I would also send their stories to you that they could come on your show too with similar stories. Fine we are all broken, um, so broken. We all speak, and it's it's hard to believe. I think we it's so hard to comprehend what we went through, and a lot of us are suffering, you know, deep down inside. And we need we need our voices to be heard. We need our stories to be told because as painful mm-hmm. as it is. It's getting our story out there that's going to help another human being not fall into the same trap. Yeah. I know it's tough, but have you had the chance to talk to uh, other shows? Have you been on other places where you've told the story, or, or is this the first time? Um, I did two interviews, one with Mike Kulak, um, one with Scott okay, Shear and Serene, um, and also with former feds. But it, it tro- also um, Mickey Willis is doing a documentary called Bad Medicine. Mm. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Mickey Willis. Pandemic. Not really. One, I will be. And, I'll be before the end of the day. Yeah. So, so he's. Okay. Um, so I did an interview there. So I'm hoping okay. that 
my story will also be on that documentary. Well, the more, the more times you tell the story, as hard as it is, the better. Uh, I hope it helps. You know, I think, I mean, it helps you personally to be able to tell this. And so for all the people that you know that want to tell their story, I mean, they have the same opportunity here. And so we'll have a catalog of these. We'll have people. And you know what this does? This puts a human face. This puts a real face. This is yeah. a real person, you know, that this happened to your, you know, to, to your daughter and to you, your real people. It's not a statistic. You're not reading a story, you know, that, with a bunch of numbers in it, you know. And this is the whole point of this is to make this real for people so they understand. But here's the thing, though. There, I don't think there's a person in this country that doesn't know somebody who was affected badly by bad medicine, you know, uh, COVID or non-COVID. But there's bad medicine now. Is not a, we don't have a health system. You know, no. It's, and, and I don't know. So, so it's not like you're talking to people that don't understand. Everybody's been affected by the medical, the health system some way in the last few years. You know, like never so, before. Yeah, and like I said, this is why, you know, I thank God that I had uh, my surgery when I did. I would not want to, you know, I would probably choose not to do it now, even at the risk of uh, what they were telling me. I said I was going to have myocarditis and I would have been dead within five years if I didn't have the surgery. I'm like, okay. So then I got a few other opinions, like five. I had five opinions before I did my surgery, including um, right. one from Stanford Med, from one of their top cardiologists and some other, and another couple of real experts. And then I consented to it. I was like, okay. And I think I really got good, you know, I got good information, uh, gave my consent willingly, believing that it's exactly the right thing to do. And there's a whole bunch of stuff they didn't tell me about recovery. <laughs> and, you know, talk about fluid and oh. everything else. That's a whole other story. But that's okay. I'm here. You know, I, I, I've got an internet. I can look things up. I don't, I trust my own judgment. See, this is something to work on too. Why don't people, I, I know you trusted your own judgment, still the hospital, because they have the power and they have the information. There's an unbelievable strain on you you know, to do what they say because yeah. you think you're supposed to trust them. But how do we, then leave this one more question, then, I'll, and then I think we can just come back and do this another time. How do we get people to trust their own judgment more, despite the expert in the white coat? I mean, just bringing light to what's going on, bringing okay. light to doctors and adopters. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I believe it was Dr. Jensen, his license is up. They wanted to take away his license. I mean... Like these are real doctors. These are doctors who save lives. So if we keep posting these stories and showing, you know, the evil in the hospital and evil behind the drug companies, people will be aware. But we all fall prey to the white coat syndrome. Mm-hmm. And we panicked. We panicked. I mean, I, I have learned about it when Daniel was younger, and I was always, you know, aware of it. And I don't know how I fell. I fell because they said double pneumonia, they scared me. Um, mm-hmm. And then you were, you were trapped, you were trapped in their hands. If you didn't do what they say, you know, they would lock you out of the hospital. You'll never see a child again. Uh, so that should never, ever happen. That should never, ever, ever happen. That's the first law I have to change. Yep. Yeah, well, actually, I have, uh, I'll send you, I wrote a Bill of Rights uh, with a woman named Jim Clark, who's one of the freedom fighters there. Um, she did the, the Melbourne to Canberra run. So it's a bill of individual rights for Australia. And a lot of it concerns fully informed consent, mind body autonomy, and a bunch of other things. I'll send that to you. It's, it's on our writeyourlaws.com website. But uh, we have work to do, you and I. We have some, uh, you know, now, yeah. that, uh, now that we're friends, now that we can, uh, you know, that uh, I, I know your story now much more than I had. Uh, and so I think we can do some good work. So let me let you go. If you have any website, any information, any last minute stuff, and then we'll just pick it up next time. Yes, thank you so much, Greg. Um, and I look forward to coming back on your show. And I'll definitely spread spread the word around for other people to join your show. 
Thank you. Well, you got the podcast. Thank you, everyone, it'll be po- for Actually, it'll, it's live now, but it'll be podcast about, you know, 30, 40 minutes after the, you know, about 10 minutes after the show we're done. Uh, then it gets podcast. But, uh, yeah, you got a lot of courage. Uh, and I have a lot of respect for you for, for what you're doing. So keep doing it. You're doing the right thing. Okay. Thank right. you. Have a good day. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Take care, Rebecca. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Let me play a couple of things here. Um, you know, this is emotional for me uh, because I've, I've lost friends to, to the medical industry, the medical government complex. And so it, uh, it does affect me very personally. In the meantime, let me play a couple things. We'll come back. We've got a, yeah, about 25 minutes or so. Uh, I'll probably continue the story. We'll go back to Nord Stream 2. I want to see if I can finish more of that article. And then Monday, we'll start again. And we'll just pick it up then. All right, back in a bit. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try. Even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Panklos Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Well, that sounds good. Even better. Okay, how about your car? If you want the best service for your vehicle, please talk to James at Florida Stores Automotive, conveniently located at 6715 Caroline Street in the historic district of Milton, Florida, right between the Milton Bakery and the Blackwater Trail. Whether you need an oil change or an entire engine replaced, this is the place. The phone number is 850-623-6651. That's 850-623-6651. Call, ask questions, and get the information you need. Florida Stores Automotive is a full-service automotive shop for both domestic and imports, modern and classic. It is a family-owned business here in our Milton community. Open weekdays from 7.30 to 5 p.m., Florida Stars Automotive is a convenient place to keep your car maintained and on the road. Ask them about Firestone Tires and the rotation and maintenance plan. Florida Stars Automotive. I go there. You should, too. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't, which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care, and now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Great Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is greatcare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them 
at greatcare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great Care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. Action Radio, part of the ADHD Radio Network, the ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask, to the answers no one has thought to consider, to the actions no one has dared to take, that is Action Radio. We are back after an incredible discussion with uh, Rebecca Charles. And so her story, like uh, uh, Steve Shara's, you know, and like so many people out there who have lost family members uh, to the medical industrial complex. And I could use a lot worse names, but I'm not going to use them on this podcast um, just because, although we're live now, but uh, most of you are listening uh, by podcast. Um, it's just, this is, this is, this is a Holocaust. This is exactly, you know, it's as bad as it gets in terms of the worst of humanity uh, is doing what they're doing for the worst possible reason, the love of money and, uh, or their ideology. And I don't know which is stronger. I don't know if people have both, you know, the, the love of their, of their Marxist ideology, their globalist ideology, or the love of money. And I'm not sure what drives these people. Um, maybe it's different with different people, but uh, we need to reform the system. Uh, we have basically a government-imposed national health care system run by protocol, and it's reinforced by money, uh, both bribery and extortion from the Center for, for Medicare uh, Services that does the reimbursements for Medicare, which means they do most of the reimbursements for everything because uh, so many people are on Medicare. And so it's just it's a, a horrible system. There's a reason that I spend so much time on wellness with the different people we've had on here, uh, Chancey, Lindsay, Paige, and now uh, CJ. The reason that I do this is so that you don't go to the hospital that you don't end up in, in standard medical care, that you live a normal life. And we, we get you know, so much time. But uh, the time that you do have should be as productive and healthy as possible. And it can be you know, with right diet and exercise and sleep. Those are the, those are the biggies, folks. You know, it's the same old things you were told as a kid, diet, exercise, and sleep. And I've been guilty uh, at times earlier in the, in the show. In other words, you know, in the previous years, I'm not getting enough sleep. But it was necessary uh, to keep the show going. So I traded you know, part of my health um, for, for that. Now I don't have to make as much of a choice of that. So we're in better shape and the show's longer and life is getting better. It's a lot easier now than it was two years ago. <laughs> Trust me. Um, but uh, that's where we are. You know, you build, you, you improve and, uh, and your situation gets better, but the, it is so critical. This is why I had CJ on yesterday with, uh, CJ's uh, wellness watch. It is critical that you be your own doctor, that you trust your own judgment that you look things up that you don't understand, that you treat uh, doctors not as gods, not as uh, masters, not as, uh, as dictators, but as um, consultants, as uh, you know, someone you go to for a service. They're sort of like an auto mechanic for the body. You know, and do they know more than you about medicine? Yeah. 
But does that mean they're going to give you the treatments that you need? Not necessarily, apparently. That's what I'm hearing. And so all this ties in. All right, back to Nord Stream. So originally we started the show off uh, with uh, Seymour Hersh's article that, uh, that the Nord Stream 2 pipeline was blown up by us, the U.S., by Brandon, the CIA, and the Navy divers. And so we're going to pick it up here where we left off before. I'll just go one paragraph. And it's talking about, so they had a meeting February 7th. So this would have been 2022, right? Uh, so last year, about a year or so, right before the war, uh, the Ukraine-Russian war that never should have been fought, never had to be fought if we'd simply not made Ukraine uh, part of NATO and supported them. There wouldn't have been a war. And not put Zelensky in as president. There wouldn't be a war. You know, if the Ukrainians were running Ukraine, there wouldn't be a war. They would have... Uh, realized that they, they, it was an impossible situation. They'd have to sue for peace. The Russian part of Ukraine would probably become Russian. Uh, the German part of Ukraine wouldn't. <laughs> and they'd, uh, they'd figure out what to do uh, with the Kiev on the Dnieper River, you know, with the western side on the Russian border going one way and the eastern side on the, on near the German border going the other way. And that's Ukraine. That's how it works. I think it's an artificial country anyway. It's just sort of made up from, you know, how, I'm not sure how it evolved. All right. So, so it says here on the February 7th, and this is 2022, less than three weeks before the seemingly inevitable Russian invasion of Ukraine, Brandon met, I say Brandon, that's not what it says in the article, but I don't care. Brandon met in his White House office with German Chancellor Olaf Scholz, who after some wobbling was now firmly on the American team. At the press briefing that followed, Brandon defiantly said, if Russia invades, there will no longer be, this is, there will be no longer a Nord Stream 2. We will bring an end to it. This is when he goofs. This is when he screws up, right? Because he's, he's, uh, he's got brain damage. He's had two aneurysms, you know, blood clots in the brain, I think it is, or swelling of the blood vessels. He's, he's got literal brain damage. I mean, you know, it's sort of like Fetterman. These people are, are, have serious health problems. Well, you know, just if you have serious health problems, you shouldn't be in the Senate. You certainly shouldn't be sitting in the White House. You should be, you know, being taken care of properly. But, of course, you know, Jill Biden wouldn't be able to uh, do what she does, <laughs> yeah, wield the power that she wields. Who knows what she's doing in the White House? Uh, anyway, so the, the press briefing that followed, Brandon defiantly said, if Russia invades, there will be no longer a Nord Stream 2. So in other words, they already planned this out. Be, he basically announced it for anybody that's listening. Well, gonna, well how's he going to do that? Okay, so those of us that are curious. Well, the article says 20 days earlier, Undersecretary Newland, that's Victoria Newland, had delivered essentially the same message at a State Department briefing with little press coverage. Of course, right? Because it's the Democrats. You don't cover them. She said, I want to be very clear to you today. Uh, if Russia invades Ukraine one way or another, Nord Stream 2 will not move forward. Okay, so the pipeline hadn't been, hadn't, wasn't carrying natural gas at this point. It, it was still you know, waiting for permits and things like that. Uh, the article says several of those involved in planning the pipeline mission were dismayed by what they viewed as an indirect reference to the attack. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, in other words, they gave it away. Because these people, they, they, uh, you know, I've got a secret and I'm going to tell you, which gives me power. That's kind of how it works, right? So the next quote here, it says, it was like putting an atomic bomb on the ground in Tokyo and telling the Japanese that we were going to detonate it. The plan was for the options to be executed post-invasion and not advertised publicly. <laughs> Brandon simply didn't get it or ignored it. Now, this is Newland, right? So then it says Biden and Newland's indiscretion, uh, if that was what it was, might have frustrated some of the planners. Yeah, I'm sure it did. But it also created an opportunity. According to the source, so the, I would love to know who the source is, right? Wouldn't you like to know who's giving all this information? Right? So according to the source, some of the senior officials of the CIA determined that blowing up the pipeline no longer could be considered a covert operation. President, in other words, Brandon, the occupant, just announced that we knew how to do it. Well, isn't that special? So in other words, it, it'd be like saying to the, the, the Germans you know, before the D-Day invasion, yeah, you know, I think if we have to, we're probably going to invade, you know, uh, in Normandy, you know, because we can do it. 
that's essentially what they did. They said, we can blow up the pipeline. So, uh, so the fact that they announced that they could blow up the pipeline meant that they couldn't blow up the pipeline, but they did anyway. This is, this is right. So this is going to come out. This is going to be a congressional hearing, much like how Rebecca you know, gets congressional hearings that she's in front of Congress telling her story, because that's what has to happen. These people need to be held accountable. They need to go on trial. Uh, I'm not sure what the charge is, but they need to be in jail. I mean, most of the medical industry who went along with this needs to be in jail. You know, build the camp. FEMA, you get those camps you're building that I hear about? Okay, well, now we've got a place for uh, the doctors, nurses, and uh, lawyers, and hospital administrators especially. Put the hospital administrators in solitary, because to me, those are the most evil of the people here. All right, back to the article. The plan to blow up Nord Stream 1 and 2 was suddenly downgraded from a covert operation requiring that Congress be informed. Let me say that again. The plan to blow up Nord Stream 1 and 2, those are the pipelines, was suddenly shit right downgraded from a covert operation requiring that Congress be informed to one that was deemed as a highly classified intelligence operation with U.S. military support. See the difference? See, if, if they call it a covert, so it's just a name change. So they changed the name so they wouldn't have to tell Congress. Again, that is an impeachable offense or a jailable offense depending on what the charges are. Then it says, under the law, the source explained, there was no longer a legal requirement to report the operation to Congress. All they had to do now was just do it, but it still had to be secret. So the Russians had, because the Russians have superlative surveillance of the Baltic Sea. Well, of course, that's where the pipeline is, and it's shallow, so they could, they could see it easily. Then it says the agency working group members had no direct contact with the White House. Yeah, plausible deniability, right? And were eager to find out if, the, uh, if Brandon <laughs> meant what he said, that is, if the mission was now a go. The source recalled Bill Burns comes back and says, do it. I'm not sure who Bill Burns is. I'll have to look him up. Now we get to the actual operation. I'm going to go a little bit long today. I want to make sure I get this article in. It's, it's, uh, it's quite fascinating. Then we'll talk about the Russian response. And we'll, we'll see what happens over the weekend because this is, this is going to be breaking out today, big time, right? The operation Norway was the perfect place to have the mission. So this is where Norway gets it. Norway is going to be in, uh, uh, in, in, in an interesting position, too. It says, in the past few years of east-west crises, the U.S. military has vastly expanded its presence inside Norway, really? whose western border runs 1,400 miles along the North Atlantic Ocean and merges above the Arctic Circle with Russia. The Pentagon has created high-paying jobs and contracts amid some local controversy by investing hundreds of millions of dollars to upgrade and expand American Navy and Air Force facilities in Norway. Well, this is the first I've heard of it. I wonder if Matt Gates knows this, my congressman. This is the new works include. Well, I sent him the article. <laughs> in fact, I sent him the article before the show and uh, said, you really need to hold a hearing on this. And so let's see what happens. Right? I'm sure I'm not the only one that sent him the article. Article says the new works included, most importantly, an advanced synthetic aperture radar. Well, that's interesting. Far up north that was capable of penetrating deep into Russia and come online just as the American intelligence community, in other words, the spies, lost access to a series of long-range listening sites inside China. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? You know, how, uh, how did that happen? <laughs> right. did, did Brandon tell him where they were? Did Millie call up his Chinese counterpart and say, hey, guess what? We got lots of listening posts in China. Here's where they are. I, I can see them doing that. Betcha, betcha. Article says a newly refurbished American submarine base, which had been under construction for years, had become operational, and more American submarines were now able to work closely with their Norwegian colleagues to monitor and spy on a major Russian nuclear redoubt, whatever a redoubt is, 250 miles to the east on the Kola Peninsula. That's K-O-L-A, for those of you that want to look it up on a map and actually find out where it is. 
America also has vastly expanded a Norwegian airbase in the north and delivered to the Norwegian Air Force a fleet of Boeing-built P-8 Poseidon patrol planes to bolster its long-range spying on all things Russia. Now, I remember the Orion was the, was the four-engine. It was the air, when it was in an airliner version, it was called the Electra. It was a four-engine turboprop airplane, and it was the world's fastest turboprop plane. It did like three, 400 knots. This thing was blistering fast. Faster than a C-130 Hercules, but about the same size. Uh, I'm not sure what a Poseidon is. I'll have to see what the P-8 is, because I've forgotten what, uh, what they call the Orion. I think the Orion's were the P-3. So what's a Poseidon? It's probably a jet. I'll look it up. I'll find out later. Then it says, in return, the Norwegian government angered liberals and some moderates in its parliament last November by passing the Supplementary Defense Cooperation Agreement, the SDCA, <clears throat> excuse me, under the New Deal, the U.S. legal system would have jurisdiction in certain agreed areas in, north, in the north over American soldiers accused of crimes off base, as well as the, over those Norwegian systems accused or suspected of interfering with the work at the base. Well, that's interesting. So the United States takes over the Norwegian legal system, and Americans that commit crimes against Norwegians, <laughs> it's okay. They're going to go through our system. And that's interesting, too. I don't think it's especially relevant to the story. I'm not sure why it's there. Then it says Norway was one of the original signatories of the NATO Treaty in 1949, hmm. right before the Korean War. Hmm. Isn't that special? In the early days of the Cold War. And then it says today the supreme commander of NATO is Jens Stoltenberg, or is it Jens? It's with a J. J-E-N-S. S-T-O-L-T-E-N-B-E-R-G. Jens, it's probably like Jan. <laughs> I think it's Jan. Jens Stoltenberg. Jens Stoltenberg, a committed anti-communist who served as Norway's prime minister for eight years before moving to his high NATO post, with American backing, in 2014. So, so, so they've installed uh, their own you know, hack, the, the Norwegian hack to go along with the, uh, the Ukrainian hack. Uh, so these are all American hacks in NATO. So of course NATO is expanding because all the people running NATO are doing what, uh, what Brandon and, and uh, the, the deep state globalists want, a bigger NATO. Probably to cause a war with Russia, because it's good for business. I don't know. He was a hardliner on all things Putin and Russia. This is back to the article. Who had cooperated with the American intelligence community, intelligence being a misnomer, since the Vietnam War. Well, interesting. So this guy goes back to Vietnam. Jan Stoltenberg goes back to Vietnam. Yeah. He has been trusted completely since. Of course he has. He, the quote is, from the source, the, the so far unnamed source, he is the glove that fits the American hand. Well, isn't that special? If the glove fits, you must. Well, anyway, that's a different story. Back in Washington, the article says, planners knew if they knew they had to go to Norway. Quote, they hated the Russians and the Norwegian Navy was full of superb sailors and divers who had generations of experience in highly profitable deep sea oil and gas exploration. Yeah, the divers went to the fjords which they had deep in Norway. Yeah. The source said, <clears throat> they also could be trusted to keep the mission secret. Yeah. That's good. The Norwegians may have had other interests as well. The destruction of Nord Stream, if the Americans could pull it off, which apparently they did, not us, not we Americans, the, the, the government Americans or lack thereof. Uh, it says that uh, if, if we could pull it off, that would allow Norway to sell vastly more of its own natural gas to Europe. So in other words, how do you, how do you increase your, your money? Well, you cut off somebody else's supply. Hmm. Fascinating. Back to the article. Sometime in March, a few members of the team flew to Norway to meet with the Norwegian Secret Service and Navy. I didn't know Norway, Norway has so, – so our spies met with their spies. <laughs> you know, and the Navy – I guess our Navy met with their Navy too. Right? One of the key questions was where exactly in the Baltic Sea was the best place to plant the explosives. This is, I told you this is all planned out. It, it had to be. This is why as soon as I heard that the water was 260 feet deep where it was blown up, 
I thought, oh, that's, that's easy then. That's shallow, right? So Nord Stream 1 and 2, each with two sets of pipelines, were separated uh, much of the way by little more than a mile as they made their run to the port of Griswold in far northeast uh, of Germany. So it goes from Russia, and I've forgotten where. We'll find out in a bit. To Griswold in Germany, yeah. The Norwegian Navy was quick to find the right spot in the shallow waters of the Baltic Sea a few miles off Denmark's, Denmark's Bornholm Island. That's B-O, assume Bornholm, B-O-R-N-H-O-L-M, Island. The pipelines ran more than a mile apart along a seafloor that was only 260 feet deep. That would be well within the range of the divers who, operating from the Norwegian Alpha-class mine hunter, this is what they do. So the, Baltic, the Russians mine uh, the Baltic Sea so that uh, other ships can't affect Russian ships in, in whatever harbors they have. So the, the Norwegians have a, have a submarine that gets rid of the mines. It's called the Mine Hunter. I just learned about that recently. So the Norwegian Alta-class Mine Hunter would drive, dive with a mixture of oxygen, nitrogen, and helium, which makes them all sound like ducks, my addition, streaming from the tanks, and plant shaped C4 charges. So a shaped charge, I guess it molds to whatever it's going to be put on, and it blows. Because it's moldable, it, it, when, let's say a shaped charge, it's like a demolition charge. They mold it. I'm not really well versed on this, but they mold it to, to blast in a certain direction a certain way. So if it's shaped, it's designed to direct the force of the explosion. That's basically what that is. And, uh, and like I said, I'll, I'll probably learn more about this by Monday. C4 chargers on the floor, on the four pipelines with concrete protective covers. So these, you, you got to figure, you got to have a, a, an explosion strong enough to go through the concrete, take out the pipeline, but not, you know, blow huge holes in the ocean floor. This is serious, this is serious technical stuff that, you know, and I don't know how many countries can do this. I would say Norway, France, uh, I don't know what the German state of the German Navy is. Russia could obviously do it, but they wouldn't. Uh, and us. That's pretty much it. China. China could do it, too. But uh, why would they? <laughs> you know, unless they wanted to cause a war between Russia and the United States, which may be in their interest. I don't know. They're really quiet. <laughs> they don't figure into this story at all, which is surprising because they figure into every other story. Then it says that would be well within the range of the divers who are operating from the Norwegian. Oh, I read that. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, it would be tedious, time-consuming, and dangerous work, but the waters off Bornholm Island had another advantage. There were no major tidal centers, which would have made the task of diving much more difficult. So in other words, the water was pretty stable. It wasn't flowing, you know, greatly one direction or the other. So again, shallow water, no major tides, pretty stable uh, place, and uh, they got the technology. And then it says, after a bit of research, the Americans were all in. At this point, the Navy's obscure deep diving group in Panama City, about 70 miles from me here in Florida, once again came into play. The deep sea schools at Panama City, whose trainees participated in Ivy Bells, are seen as an unwanted backwater by the elite graduates of the Naval Academy in Annapolis, who typically seek the glory of being assigned as a SEAL. Everybody talks about Navy SEALs, right? A fighter pilot or a submariner. Um, Hunt for Red October. <laughs> so that, I think about a movie reference for all these things. If one must become a, quote, black shoe, and that's the first time I've seen that term, that is a member of the less desirable surface ship command, there is always at least duty on a destroyer, cruiser, or amphibious ship. The least glamorous of all is mine warfare. That's M-I-N-E, mine warfare. Look, trust me, if you've got a harbor that's mine, you have a minesweeper? Uh, you're golden as far as the Navy is concerned, but maybe not as far as the, 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 the public perception, but minesweepers, they've been around for a long time. What they, that's what they do. They sweep mines so that, uh, so if somebody mines a Harbor, the minesweeper comes in, takes out the mine so the ships can go there and not get destroyed. It's necessary, but it's not glamorous. Apparently this is the least glamorous of all is mine warfare. It's divers never appear in Hollywood movies or on the cover of popular magazines. 
Well, gee, too bad. Maybe, maybe we should have a mind movie. <laughs> you know, says the best divers with deep diving qualifications are a tight community, and only the very best are recruited for the operation and told to be prepared to be summoned to the CIA in Washington. The source said, here's a mystery. Anybody want to speculate on who this might be? I'm curious. All right, anyway. The Norwegians and Americans had a location and the operatives, um, but there was also, there was another concern. Any unusual underwater activity in the waters off Bornholm might draw the attention of the Swedish or Danish navies, which could report it. So this is interesting. So the Norwegians are colluding with, with the Brandon insurrection uh, and the potential of the Swedish or the Danish navies there, which I don't think are huge. Sweden has an air force. They, they build their own airplanes, and they're very good. The Swedish fighters are incredible. The Draken, the, uh, the Viggen, and the, the new one, the, Griff, the Gripen is the new one. So the Swedish make their own airplanes for the Air Force. They're very talented uh, as far as that goes. Anyway, the Danish Navy, not sure what it was. Probably five ships, maybe. Anyway, but they could report this. You know, what are you doing here? <laughs> What's an American ship doing here in, uh, in the Baltic Sea over the Russian uh, pipelines? Hmm, that doesn't look suspicious. So here's what they did, right? Then it says here, Denmark had also been one of the original NATO signatories and was known in the intelligence committee for its special ties to the United Kingdom, that would be Britain. Sweden had applied for membership into NATO and had demonstrated its great skill in managing its underwater sound and magnetic sensor systems that successfully tracked Russian submarines that would occasionally show up in remote waters of the Swedish archipelago and be forced to the surface. So this is interesting, too. Remember how we first discovered this? It's either Denmark or Sweden seismic uh, seismologists, seismic reports came in. And they said, well, yeah, this is, that's when they said it was an explosion. They didn't say it was an earthquake. So they dispelled that immediately. That was one of the first things we knew. So these, these folks reported that it was, it was the Norwegian seismic people. I think it was Sweden or Denmark. Maybe I think it was Denmark, actually. Well, I'll, I'll go back and check it out. Somebody reported that there was a seismic disturbance and it had to be man-made. That's what I'm thinking. We knew this was blown up. We just didn't know who. Well, now we know who. We did it. <laughs> well, we didn't do it. Brandon uh, and the globalists did it. Then it says the Norwegians joined the Americans in insisting that some senior officials in Denmark and Sweden had to be briefed in general terms yeah, right, about possible diving activity in the area. In that way, someone higher up could intervene and keep a report out of the chain of command, thus insulating the pipeline operation. In other words, keep it completely secret. What they were told and what they knew were purposely different. And that's what the source said. What they were told and what they knew were purposely different. Uh, I believe the term is plausible deniability. I didn't know. I didn't know. I really didn't know, even though I did know. Okay. The source, uh, this is the Norwegian embassy asked to comment on the story. Oh, and the Norwegian embassy was asked to comment on the story, but did not respond. Well, no surprise there. How much more time have I got? How much more article have I got? This is a lot of article. Yeah, yeah I could probably finish it. No, I'll stay a little over time. I want to get this all in one podcast. So you can, you can, uh, uh, you, you get the whole flavor, the whole gist of it. So where were we now? Back to Norway. Uh, okay, here we go. The Norwegians were key to solving other hurdles. The Russian Navy was known to, purpose, to possess surveillance technology capable of spotting and triggering underwater mines. That's how they blow them up, right? You, you, uh, oh, There's my 60-second warning. I'll just kind of blow through it. Triggering underwater mines. The American explosive devices need to be camouflaged in a way that would make them appear to the Russian system as part of the natural background. See how devious they are? They were, they're camouflaging these things, right? Something that required adapting to the specific salinity of the water the Norwegians had to fix. So Nor- Norway actually has the expertise how to do this. This is what's so fascinating. The Norwegians also had a solution to the crucial question of when the operation should take place. And here we go. Every June for the last 21 years, the American 6th Fleet, whose flagship is based in Gaeta, that's G-A-E-T-A, Italy, south of Rome, 
had sponsored a major NATO exercise in the Baltic Sea involving scores of Allied ships throughout the region. The current exercise held in June will be known as Baltic Operations 22 or BALT. Oh, there's 10 second warning. Let's see if we can keep going. BALT Ops 22. The Norwegians possess, uh, proposed this would be the ideal cover to plant the mines. The Americans provided one vital element. They convinced the Sixth Fleet planners to add a research and development exercise to the program. The exercise, as made public by the Navy, involved the Sixth Fleet in collaboration with the Navy's research and warfare centers. The at-sea event would be held off the coast of Bornholm Island and involved NATO teams of divers planting mines with competing teams using the latest underwater technology to find and destroy them. So you see how they set this up? All right. They set up an activity where they could do stuff underwater uh, and under the guise of, a, of an exercise, you know, carry out a secret covert mission that they refused to tell Congress about. This is fascinating. Anyway, so, da, 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 here we go. It was both a useful exercise and an ingenious cover. The Panama City boys would do their thing with the C4 explosives, would be in place by the end of Baltops 22 with a 48-hour timer attached. All the American and Norwegians would be long gone by the first explosion. The days were counting down, the clock was ticking, and we were nearing mission accomplished, the source said. And then Washington had second thoughts. Of course they did. Brandon can't make a decision. Not without somebody else telling him what to decide. It says the bombs would still be planted during ball tops, but the White House worried that a two-day window for their detonation would be too close to the end of the exercise, and it would be obvious that America had been involved. We knew they were involved as soon as we heard there was an operation there, even if it was three months later. <laughs> we didn't know how, but we knew that, uh, that uh, our, our folks had something to do with it because they were right there with our ships. Why were they there? An exercise? Oh, please. Then it said, instead, the White House had a new request. Can the guys in the field come up with some way to blow the pipelines later on command? So again, the planning is, is, is uh, long-term. So this is definitely, uh, what do they say, um, premeditated? <laughs> I think that's the term I'm looking for. Some members of the planning team were angered and frustrated by the president's seeming indecision. Which president? The Panama divers uh, had repeatedly practiced planting the C4 on pipelines, as they would during ball tops. But now the team in Norway had to come up with a way to give Brandon what he wanted, the ability to issue a successful ex- execution order at the time of his choosing. Yeah, right, his. Being tasked with an arbitrary last-minute change was something the CIA was accustomed to managing, but it also renewed the concerns some shared over the necessity and legality of the entire operation. The president's, yeah, the residents' secret orders also invoked the CIA's dilemma in the Vietnam War days when, the pre- when President Johnson... Uh, confronted by growing anti-Vietnam War sentiment, ordered the agency to violate its charter, but specifically barred it from operating inside America by spying on anti-war leaders to determine whether they were being controlled by communist Russia. Are you getting a theme here? I think I might stop uh, here. Because it gets into some CIA stuff. Let me, let me skip over this. Uh, it's it's kind of critical, but let me see how much... Uh, almost done. Yeah, I think I can finish this. I'll skip over the the stuff they talked about before. Let's go right to the operation again. The C4 attached to the pipelines would be triggered by a sonar buoy. Uh, Okay, wait a minute. Uh, Here it goes. The Americans at work in Norway operated under the same dynamic uh, and dutifully began working on the new problem, how to remotely detonate the C4 explosives on Brandon's order. It was a much more demanding assignment than those in Washington understood. There was no way for the team in Norway to know when Brandon might push the button, whether it be a few weeks, in many months, or half a year or longer. The C4, that's explosive, attached to the pipelines would be triggered by a sonar buoy dropped by a plane on short notice. 
but the procedure involved the most advanced signal processing technology. This is where it gets really interesting, too, for all kinds of geeks. Once in place, the delayed timing devices attached to any of the four pipelines could be accidentally triggered by the complex mix of ocean background noises throughout the heavily trafficked Baltic Sea. From distant ships, underwater drilling, seismic events, waves, and even he says, I was told by Dr. Theodore Postol, P-O-S-T-O-L, Professor Emeritus of Science and Technology and National Security at MIT. Postol has served as a science advisor to the Pentagon's Chief of Naval Operations to the issue facing the group in Norway because of Biden's delay was one of chance. The longer the explosives are in the water, the greater the risk there would be of a random signal that would launch the bombs. Here we go. So the last little bit, and then I'll tell you, we'll say the rest for Monday. On September 26, 2022, a Norwegian Navy P-8 surveillance plane made a seemingly routine flight and dropped a sonar buoy. The signal spread underwater, initially to Nord Stream 2, and then on to Nord Stream 1. A few hours later, the high-powered C-4 explosives were triggered, and three of the four pipelines were put out of commission. I wonder if one failed to go. This is within a few minutes, pools of methane gas that remained in the shattered and the shuttered pipelines could be seen spreading on the water surface, and the world learned that something irreversible had taken place. That's it. That's how they did it. So they, uh, they trained the divers in Panama, worked with the Norwegians. They used a, a, a normal military exercises of cover. They planted the C4 explosives. They had a specific timer that could be triggered by a sonar buoy. The Norwegians flew the sonar buoy over uh, the pipelines. The sonar buoy drops in gives a signal. A couple hours later, boom. And then uh, Brandon blames the Russians for blowing up their own pipeline. And that's where we are. So let me leave it there. I've talked enough. I'm tired. <laughs> We've had a very emotional, very uh, uh, interesting, very, very uh, show full of death today. And so let me just leave you with everything we have today, and I'll pick it up Monday. So the show is 7 a.m. Central Time. I think we're consistent through the week now. So 7 a.m. Central Time, 7 to 10. Uh, that'd be 8 to 11 Eastern, 7 to 10 Central, 6 to 9 Mountain, 5 to 10, no, 5 to 8 Pacific Time. But of course, everything's on podcast, so you can catch it after I end the show. About 10 minutes later, you get the podcast. Thank you for listening. Please share the show. Please share uh, Rebecca Charles' story. Uh, please encourage anybody else who wants to tell their story to come on the show. Contact me, greg at writeyourlives.com, uh, email or, um, you know, message here. We've got, to, we've got the chat when we're live. Nobody send a chat. We've got the Skype line. You can call in. Um, the show site, if you want to share it, blogtalkradio.com slash citizen action. Our legislative site, writeyourlaws.com, W-R-I-T-E-Y-O-U-R-L-A-W-S, writeyourlaws.com. Um, my Substack. I'm going to go write an article right after the show. <laughs> gregpengliss.substack.com. And also our, 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 our fundraising site, givesendgo.com slash action radio on that note play a couple more things and then we'll be back monday morning 7 a.m central time and we'll chat then from addiction to achievement that is the story of mike lindell it started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee action radio is proud to be an affiliate of my pillow our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates W-Y-L, which stands for Write Your Laws. My Pillow Pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. 
Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio live. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend Jason Myers and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand your ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. This is Greg Penglis for Strike Force your source for pure energy. Strike Force is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strike Force, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code WYL to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website right your laws so you can get your energy drink a 20% discount and help action radio change the relationship of we the people to our government not bad strike force is at strikeforceenergy.com that's strikeforceenergy.com start your engine this is Greg Penglis So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed. <laughs> 